It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone and welcome to RHAP's coverage of Survivor 42 for Survivor Global. I'm your host Shannon Gus here to talk about episode 9. Two tribal councils, obviously a lot going on, some emotional stuff, a lot of strategy, a lot to dig into. And I have a great guest to break it all down. Please welcome Survivor AU fan favorite from Brains vs. Brawn. Also, my co-host on Talking Tribal is the great King George Mladenov. George, thank you for being here. Shannon, it's always a pleasure to join you on your podcast. Happy to be back. I'm so happy to have you from my COVID isolation, where all I do is watch Survivor listen to podcasts about Survivor, uh, dig in too much into this, write thousands of words and notes about this episode. So I'm going a little stir crazy and I'm excited to have someone to talk to, really. Thank you for joining me here. (laughs) Well, that's good. I had COVID about a month ago as well. And then I just started binge watching season one of Australian Survivor just to kind of catch up on what I don't really remember. So um, good COVID plan, I think, while you're isolating at home. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I wanted to binge Survivor South Africa season four, which I still plan to binge in my isolation. But I called my mom last night and I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to do my puzzle. I'm trying to do this podcast. I'm trying to binge that. I've got like all this food to eat that my mom dropped and that my girlfriend dropped. And like last night I tried to eat six chocolate covered strawberries in one sitting because they were like going to go off. And I'm like trying to get through all this food. I'm like, I think I need my isolation to extend because I have so much to do. And I can't get it done before Tuesday. <laughs> so she's like, I don't think you're meant to be stressing yourself out. And I, so I'm like, I have to finish this puzzle. So that's currently where I'm at. Like, I think I'm losing it a little bit. I'm like alone. I'm, yeah, it's been a crazy week. <laughs> are, you, are you pounding the Uber Eats like I did in isolation? Just like four or five different orders a day? Well, that's what I would want to do. In my mind, I'm like, I'll keep getting, like, I, I kept thinking I'll get like, sushi delivery like I keep thinking about it but my mom just dropped so much food that I'm like no I need to work through this mountain of food before I can even consider uber and I don't know that I'll ever get through it so I'm just just imagine someone just eating doing a, like rushing between different parts of the apartment rushing to do a puzzle to binge this to watch that I got a rom-com I wanted to watch like I'm stressed out by what I have to do 
in isolation and like the relaxing things that one should try to do, but it's like stressing me out. As long as you get better soon, Shannon. Thank you. No, I feel good. I feel just stressed. But George, uh, I haven't spoken. Well, I've spoken to you, but not about Survivor since Australian Survivor ended. And we were talking about it every week. We're actually in like a pretty typical talking tribal slot right now, getting to chat, which is fun. But how have you been since Australian Survivor ended other than the COVID of it all, but like gallivanting around the country as you always are? Uh, I've I've had a I've had a good time. Um, I enjoyed working on Talking Tribal. It was fun to kind of um, be involved in that season again. Um, and for both Haley and myself, it was kind of like back to back commitment. So we finished our season, which was airing about a year ago now. Um, just you know what what tends to kind of like boggle my mind is um, we completed our pre-filming isolation pre-filming isolation and entire season while that was being filmed they got 41 and 42 in and now Mm -hmm. this is kind of like the final kind of like closure of that year-long survivor journey for me where I get to do a survivor 42 podcast but um it I, I I've enjoyed kind of um having a bit of a career shift I'm doing um tv media PR appearances and whatnot, which is, it's always fun to engage with Survivor fans. Um, and I get to live my best life and Survivor gave me that opportunity and I'm forever grateful for it. Yeah. You definitely have like a one of a kind life where I just watch you always doing something cool. Like you're at the Easter show for like a week, taking photos with people. Yes. Like you are our closest thing to Boston Rob? Like, I don't even know, like, what the equivalent is. Like, I don't know if they survive even has someone that they're, like, peddling out to Comic-Con the way that they do with you. Like, it's such a unique position in the world. Can I just say 10-hour meet and greets, 10 days, 10-hour meet and greets, 10 days in a row um, sounded a lot less um, intense on paper than it was in reality. But um, at least I got to practice my endurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> had you already had COVID at that point? Because that feels like... Oh, no, I, I had it, I had I it the week. why you got it. I had it the week before and okay. um, I'm quite thankful for that because yeah. I can guarantee you there was no super spreading event like 100,000 people a day at the Sydney Royal Oyster Show. It's a lot, but it looked fun. I'm sorry that I couldn't get out there to see it myself, but it looked like everyone was having a good time with that. But you mentioned kind of the journey that 41 and 42 were filming during Brains vs. Brawn and it's been kind of this whole cycle that you've been a part of. And then obviously with Blood versus Water and Talking Tribal, like it, it all kind of sinks into each other. What have you thought of season 42, just big picture? Uh, big picture. I've kind of been watching 42 as, as a casual. So I've just been watching it when I can on TV, um, on, you know, usually the, the morning after. I, Thursday nights aren't really the best for me um, right now. And um, I think as a, as a casual viewer and ex-Survivor player, um, my thoughts on 42 is I, 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 I think it's been an enjoyable season. Um, I don't think it's a classic season. Um, I think the cast on this season um, are very game botty, um, which tends to um, stifle the entertainment of the show. Um, in saying that, I have enjoyed it. Um, the characters that I found the most enjoyable um, or the character that I found most enjoyable is Marianne by an mm-hmm. absolute country mile. Um, she's just absolute TV magic. Um, and I've enjoyed watching her navigate the game in the positions that she's found herself in. Um, and then 
Everybody else, I think, has a lot of backstory that kind of focuses over their gameplay for better or worse. Yeah, I mean, Marianne is such a standout. I've spoken so much about how much I love her because she brings joy to the screen, clear returnee from episode one, and then for her to do what she did in this episode, which we'll obviously talk about, but with so much power and so much beauty and grace and to articulate it in the way that she did, you know, I keep being impressed that she's a few years younger than me and maybe I shouldn't kind of look at the disparity the way that I always have. Like, how does she have that sense of self-awareness so young? Like, I wish I had had the sense of like self-acceptance in past when I was her age, even though it's only a few years ago, but to see her again act beyond her age, beyond my age, beyond probably people much older than me's age. Um, again, like it just brings more power to her character. It's like, what can't she do? And I also love the way that she's playing the game. So we'll talk about it. Um, as I said, obviously, this was an emotionally weighty episode with a lot of important topics. Uh, if you're listening to this, please, you know, go listen to Jamal with Rob. I've listened to about 45 minutes of that. And then there'll be like Survivor News with Bryce and Wendell, which I think will dive into that in ways that we can't. Because as Stephen said on know we have a very limited perspective. We're going to give that perspective around largely the strategy of these two big votes um, and, and kind of talk about the strategic domino effect in chronological order with all of that and give our thoughts on it. But again, like I don't think that this is like the most crucial podcast this week. If it ever is, um, there are definitely other content everyone should be checking out. I hope that you do. And we're going to kind of give our perspective with that. But George, I wanted to ask you before we, we get into the votes, which I do think were two like massive votes, like the majority cracked, like it was cracking on both sides, which was crazy. But what do you feel about the twist that allows these votes to happen? Oh, the good old twist. So having come <laughs> from a season of Survivor that was really lambasted by um, Survivor superfans um, throughout the world and, you know, in Australia about being very twist heavy, um, mm-hmm. the fact that you are split into essentially a tribe of five by pulling out a rock before an immunity challenge um, and then everything just gets thrown out the window um, and unlike Australian Survivor, a twist doesn't mean a non-elimination leg. It means you're out there on the jury. Um, I think it's really kind of harsh on the players out there. Um, I don't mind the game mechanics that we've seen in 41 and 42. I find it interesting the fact that you can walk up the hill and risk your vote or get an advantage. I find it interesting that you can play um, a shot in the dark and then it impacts on the number of votes that are and are not available or you have a um, certain percentage of getting immunity and um, you know as a player out there you would have to factor in a lot more things than just simple numbers in working out who to vote for and why Um, but to just get split into those two groups of five I, I, I would have I would have been fuming I I think it's one of the worst possible twists I've ever seen um, at 10, um, particularly given that both players are out there on the jury bench. Um, I think for someone like Romeo, um, he should be very thankful that it didn't go as expected. Um, he really was slim pickings out there, and I'm sure we'll delve into it a bit further into your podcast. Um, but, I mean, hypothetically, like if Jonathan doesn't win immunity there, he's he's toast. He's just absolutely out and gone without any hope of survival because of a random twist. Mm, I mean, I don't mind it. For the main reason for me, and I know that the conversation has been around like, well, it takes away the final nine vote, which is such a big vote in the game. And I agree with that. But I think the players are aware of losing that final nine. So to go from 10 to eight, I think that's the thing that we see force these shifts. It's also obviously you have new options. You have kind of new numbers to work with in a smaller group. But also 
it seemed to be like Taku was very much like, oh, we could be four of eight. Like we better get this done, really get ourselves into this really strong positioning. So I think rushing through the game and really triggering the end game because you've gone from 10 to eight, which is a very, very different game. And that's why the final nine is so crucial because it's like this crucial juncture that we're now rushing past. That does kind of trigger these big moves, I think, in these splits when it happens. And I still think like, Yes, it sucks for the players and survivors never fair, but it's not the most unfair twist because the things that are manifesting are still rooted in strategic basis and what you've created, you know, like Rockroy's approach. Yes, the numbers are there to come against him, but that's what hurts him. Um, if it had been Jonathan, and I think he would have been okay from a Taku perspective, but it would have been on managing threat level. Like Evie has said that they felt like it doomed them last time and, and maybe they would have had outs and they lose those outs, but they've still been on the bottom. Like there are still missteps there or things that have gone a certain way in the game that have led you to this point. It's also something that's been done before, so they could reasonably expect it. Um, not that they saw it in 41, but they've seen it in the past. So I don't think it's so unfair. Um, and I think that whoever goes for that needs to wear parts of their gameplay and it's not all on the twist. And at least you know, it shakes it up in an interesting way or gets rid of two people on the bottom together. So I see why the show does it, even though it does limit some people. I, If I was to think back to the most recent Survivor season that I've gone through, which is um, Australian Survivor Blood versus Water, at a similar stage of the game, um, the power without safety advantage that I'm quite fond of um, was introduced. And at least in that situation, um, you know, the the player has the active choice on who they can send home and try and set up an elimination when there are less than the entire tribe available at tribal council. They get to choose who goes out. And I think the, the key difference is the player has an active choice and you can try and set up a situation like I did or like KJ did to have an optimal advantage in who goes to um, who goes home or who goes to the jury bench. Um, I think in mm-hmm. this circumstance where it's just left down to rocks um, is a bit unfair because you essentially have one to two hours before you go to tribal council where you have a new tribe situation um, and it just completely throws every bit of dynamic that's led to that point in time out the window Um I, I know it didn't eventuate where we kind of had like easy vote off of someone like Romeo who was on the outs and it, and it changed the dynamic of the game. Um, but I, I as, as, as a player would not be fond of my destiny going to one in five chance of going home or then one in four, if you don't win immunity because of a rock I pulled out before an immunity challenge. Yeah, it was ironic that rocks went due to rocks and thus ends my season-long journey of trying to force rocks puns, which I think have been done to varying success. But I'm glad that I could get one more in there. But I think, like, okay, so for you to find that advantage, you can mold things to your will, so can KJ. Um, but if you're on the other end of that, and that person who who finds it earns that, for sure you found an advantage, although I'll always have issues with the fact that KJ bid on something random when other people were trying to bid on an advantage. So if you're on the other side of that and you've been trying to get an advantage at the auction, for example, and you just happen to pick up a plate that didn't have the advantage and just had Vegemite toast, now you have something being molded against you. So that's like more unfair. Whereas picking this, at least everyone's on an even playing field of randomness. I don't think it throws dynamics out the window. I think that they're all, it changes dynamics. It changes numbers. But for example, Omar, who's put in the work to not have separated relationships, he can pick up on that and that gameplay gets rewarded that he can put this move into action versus, you know, 
possibly someone who hasn't worked with, with Rothroy, for example, who's maybe worked with just specific people. Well, now he gets punished for that um, by having less options or his approach then really gets to be like capitalized by the others on taking that out. So I don't think it throws it out the window. I think it just changes it in ways. And if you're a good enough player, firstly, to be adaptive, which is a huge part of Survivor, and to have put those tools and relationships in place, you should be okay with that. So I think it punishes mistakes of the past in ways that are maybe harsher or quicker than those would have been punished it had this twist not existed, but I don't think it just like manifests or creates new outcomes. I think it maybe just escalates outcomes or just rushes them through. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, and then, like you said, Shannon, it's Survivor. Things tend to happen at this point in the game. So it's not completely unexpected that the Survivor gods throw out a bit of a twist. Um, it's just that when 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 you have something lined up and then I had to live through it with that moronic bait and vote off where i have mm. the game that was mapped out. Yeah. i have the game mapped out i have Haley as a easy target that'll go at any imminent tribal council i have myself um you know working both sides and then a twist both exposes me and then gets a target coming back in the game who eventually comes back and wins it, it just changes the destiny of the game for better or worse that's the game it is what it is and it definitely had a huge impact on this episode of survivor 42 yeah i mean the bait and twist for me like that stifled and limited gameplay in an unworkable way where only one person is voting like you've lost all options and agency i think that this limits options but everyone is still voting just in different permutations so again like if you have enough numbers there should be something there even though yes it can be super unfair like you know it could be someone who's been in the majority the whole time or with people on the outsiders who were like, great, this is our chance. And then it would basically like being, it would be exactly like being tribe swapped and definitely people get swapped through. So it would be probably most comparable to that, where it's again, a rock, again, different numbers and can again be unfair, but you hope that someone can be adaptive to work through it. But that doesn't mean that it's, you know, always so easy and, and, and always fair. So I think that, that it's more like that for me. Like if you go in that way, it's more like a tribe swap thing. But I don't think that that's what happened to anyone here. Like, I think Rox's approach yeah. is the issue Tori will talk about, but Tori just didn't have a lot of options. Like, that's been her game up till now. And I think that that's what it made it really, really difficult. So, yeah, I think it just shows that you always have to be open. You always have to be, like, socially connecting with everyone. Don't leave yourself out. Even if you are in the majority, like, it's different to a swap because you've met everyone. So even if you are in the majority... You have to be more like Omer. We'll talk about Omer's move. Clearly, I love the way he's playing the game. But you have to be like someone who's not just like rocks or so in the majority that you've cut off social ties. Even like High and Romeo, like they work together, but they're really like cutting off that social connection and, and that option that's brought together by Omer. If you are a player who uses the fact that you know everyone and have met everyone to just have relationships across the board, that's what saves against things that just throw like a wrench in the plans or a spanner in the works, as we say in Australia, for what is like the strategy when it comes to like twists like this. Yeah, and then, like you said, it it, it, it it accelerated gameplay, and I think in the grand scheme of things, the audience is not worse off. That's probably one mm. way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, I thought the strategy was fascinating. Let's start with this first vote with the first team or tribe on Roxroy. Let's start with Omar, because clearly I've been teasing yeah. the whole podcast how much I love this move for Omar. Like, I think it's so well done. We'll talk through kind of the way that he puts it in motion. And I think it's so smart. Like he has nothing with Rox Roy. He's clearly not connecting. He's like, Rox hasn't spoken to me. Rox clearly has closer relationships with people like Mike and Jonathan than him. Drea, for example, as well. And Romeo will be a number for him. 
Like he's cultivated that relationship, the people in the bottom, to use them in votes like this and then to keep them as long-term options. So I really, really love this move for him, the way that he placates Romeo, calms him. Like, again, I, we saw it with Marianne. He does the same with Romeo now. He's like, keep as calm as possible. Like, he's really putting in, like, a lot of work, I feel, emotionally in just dealing with people and different kind of paranoid people on the bottom who have the right to be paranoid because they're on the bottom, but they're in a scary position and he's been the one to reach out and be like, you're okay. Like Tori said that he was the only member of the majority to give her the time of day. Like that takes social work and it puts him to a great position with twists like this. And in general, where he can use those options and will never be in danger where we'll talk about it. Maybe he should have been. So what did you think of this move for Omar? I think Omar is someone that's really controlling the game behind the scenes, which puts him in, in pole position um, to do well. Um, you pointed out that he's got good relationships with everyone, which is absolutely critical. Um, the only way that you can pull off a move in the game of Survivor is if you have the social capital to do so. Um, mm-hmm. There's no point coming up with a plethora of ideas and then not having the ability to execute it because nobody wants to work with you. And we've seen that um, in the game of Survivor over many, many seasons. And it's the difference between a good and a bad player. Um, Omar is playing incredibly well. Um, He's someone that is not an obvious target for any upcoming votes. Um, He's surrounded by big, strong men. Um, He's in the majority alliance and in different sub-factions, as you pointed out, Shannon. And he essentially had a choice of who went home in this episode. Mm. He could have done absolutely nothing and let Romeo go, who's a potential ally, someone that if you start thinking in terms of real endgame at this point of the game, um, that is less likely to win in front of a jury than he is. Um, then he had a he had a choice between Roxroy and Mike. Um, so I'm not living out there, um, but if I was Omar, um, I actually would have kept Roxroy around because he's so difficult to work with. Um, he would have been easy picking for a future vote whilst Mike seems to be close with a lot of people. Um, in saying that, um, it's good that he broke that pair up because essentially they were a rigid pair. Um, but I think Mike was the one that was in control of that relationship or pair of two, not Roxroy. Mm, I mean, Mike is a huge threat. I don't know that the numbers are there for Mike because I don't think High is ever doing that and I don't think he can or wants to work with Roxroy to do it. And I think he probably has a better relationship with Mike, so it's, it's at least workable, even though Mike's a way bigger threat. But I don't mind the positioning because I feel like the, the most important thing is that he has empowered Taku. And we'll talk about like the Taku 4 who have been, to all of their credit, acting like they exist in this like post-tribal game where it's not about tribal lines and it's this big majority and all on the back burner for all of them, it seems. The Taku Four have been there and now they're all talking about it and Jonathan's talking about, like, we'll take it to the end of the final four, which is good on them because I don't think anyone was thinking that and they think that they're working with at least three members of the Taku Four. So now they become 50% of the final eight, assuming the other team don't screw up, um, which is what Omar would be thinking at the time. Um, it gives him Romeo as a number. And then High and Mike, who are still there, they've been cut off from all their other options. So... It's very, very powerful, I think, to make a decision in in a situation like this without your allies' consent. They're taking out Roxroy without Drea's consent. She's not there. So you fully split Drea from Mike and High, and maybe yourself. Like She'll be mad at Oma too, but she has nothing really against the Taku 4. She's got advantages, and that's going to be her game, I think, now fighting out through with the advantages, but they have the numbers. So the way that he's kind of divided and conquered where they're this big, 
at this point, plurality, like 50% of eight, but really majority um, of eight between all of Taku getting it done with Romeo there as a number and the others all fractured. I think that positioning is really impressive. And, and if they do go down to the final four, if that's their intention and they get close to it, it's like a FOA FOA level victory like Russell did with four people coming in at a merge of 12 and making it down to a final four. And whether they do it or not, like they've got into this position where they're four of eight with all the power, all the numbers and all the relationships. So I'm just like completely impressed with that positioning. Yeah, his positioning is phenomenal. And then if you tell yourself, you're, you know, the, the finale episode is a final five and then it gets down to a like a, like the real kind of like final four and then a final immunity challenge, um, I'm expecting to see Omar in the finale of season 42. He's someone that the the other group, irrespective of the fact that he's embedded in, in this majority alliance, essentially, if we're going to simplify it down to that, He's not an obvious target for a vote and he has the positive relationships with everyone to kind of turn it on a dime like we saw at the last episode. Um, Omar is extremely well positioned in the game and he's someone that I expect to see right at the very end. Mm, I mean, to talk about the way that he gets it done, we talked about calming Romeo, but even bringing Romeo and Hyde together, and we'll definitely talk about this from Hyde's perspective, but the language used to Hyde, like, I love when I see just perfect language on the show. This line that he said, if we want to make this move, I'm with you. So many parts of that that we can compare to people like Roxroy and people like Jonathan who are very much, I think this, and you're not listening to me and making it, like, very personal and, like, kind of defensive. Um, Omer's, like, collaborative we, and I'm with you. Like, this is a you thing. Like, I've, I've pitched the idea to you, but somehow now you're the leader. Like, I'm just doing what you say. And I think it's that kind of language, which means he's completely beaten the radar to a point that might be concerning to some people because Rox gets onto that jury and is like, hi, and Romeo got together. It's like, mm, I think you're missing like an important piece of that puzzle. And people are concerned, like, well, is he so unknown and so much the puppet master that people can't see? Like, do you think that that gives you some concern with a jury that people won't know until they watch you back on TV how instrumental he was in this? I think it's as simple as this, Shannon. Um, Omar is outplaying every single person that's left there. Omar has outplayed all of the other seven remaining contestants, um, you know, including the two people that went home at this last episode. And I... I, I acknowledge, you know, the the simplicity of the language that he uses. He kind of, you know, it 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 is like empowering to high, but it like high's been played here. He mm-hmm. has no ownership of this move whatsoever. This is Omar's move. I mean, High can't stand up there to final tribal council and say, I did this, because he's either going to have Omar next to him saying, no, actually, I did this, or Omar telling every single juror um, out there at the Ponderoso jury villa that it was actually his move. Um, if if High really had a grasp on the game, he would have been aware of this enough to get rid of somebody who has zero chance of working with him in Romeo. Um, I think we mm-hmm. saw the contemplation of High. Um, I can't see the merit from High's perspective yeah. in getting rid of Roxroy. But from Omar's perspective, it's absolutely phenomenal because I don't think Roxroy really valued Omar. And if it went down this strong, macho, all-men alliance that Roxroy, Roxroy was trying to put together before the twist happened, um, Omar was right on the bottom of that pecking order with Romeo. Yeah. Yeah, I think a couple of things on that. I mean, from a jury perspective, 
I don't want to put out into the universe that people won't see enough of Omer's game because it's been so stealth. I would hope that he could speak to it really well and that there'd be enough people who could verify because he's worked with so many people. Hopefully once they all start chatting at Jury Villa or Ponderosa, sorry, I'm, you know, between franchises. But once they start chatting at Ponderosa, hopefully it's like, all right, you know, uh, he has like the connecting factor, like let's connect the dots on this. It was all Omer. I'm hoping that's true because it has been a game with so many people. So hopefully they kind of all get together to understand that it's, you know, while it's been stealth, it's been a game of people of, of relationships and hopefully a, they just like him and want to vote for him. And B after the fact, they're aware of, you know, just how much of a hand he's had in everything once they kind of all get their story straight. So that's my hope, but you mentioned high and I, yeah, I want to talk about it from high's perspective. Cause I just, I can't overstate how much I don't like the move for high, like from that opposite oh, perspective I, of Omar, as you mentioned, like makes absolutely no sense. Shannon. It's baffling to me. Like, Romeo went out of his way to spite vote you. Like, let's think about that for a second. Like, he could have spite voted Drea, who actually betrayed him much worse, but he went out of his way to make it a personal thing for you. So he says that Romeo is an emotional move and Roxroy is a strategic move. I actually think there's like a lot of strategy in voting out someone who's spite voting you and who works against you, who's never going to be a number for you, who's definitely going to be a number for Omar or other people or anyone but you. And I actually think that voting Rox, because his approach is wrong. Like, while I'm sure that's hard out there, that feels actually quite emotional and personal to me. So, like, I definitely don't see the dichotomy that he's putting out there. Also, you've put off Drea. Like, I know that there's an all-guy thing that they can go back to, but Rox has confirmed in exits that, like, Drea was always meant to be part of that alliance, and they're extremely close. You've done this without her consent. You've split yourself down the middle, and you've put yourself completely into Oma and Taku's hands because you don't have anyone else. Like, you're not going to work with Romeo. Dre is now someone you can't work with. And so they think, okay, Jonathan, Lindsay, Omar, the Taku three, but they have each other first and foremost. So you've given all the power over to Omar. And I feel like Hi and Mike now only have each other. Like, I can't understand from a positioning standpoint how to do this, why you would do this. I can't understand why you would keep Romeo in when, like, they're fighting through the episode. I don't see that coming back on track. Like, I think that's an unworkable relationship. And I think sometimes while it's simple, taking out someone on the bottom who's, like, gunning for you, spite voting you, for no reason other than to make you uncomfortable. Like, I think there's a lot of strategy in just, like, let's quash that right now. Like, that's not happening. And Rox is someone you could work with. Like, Rox is, like, while they might find him a little bit immovable and hard, you can try to work around it. It brings Dreyer in as well. And if it becomes more and more difficult, like, okay, maybe then you cut it then. But, like, Rox was trying to work with High, like, actively trying in a way Romeo was absolutely not. So I just just can't understand this move from High. I agree with every single thing. You forgot one critical point that players should be aware of when they're out there is high has extreme core strength and balance. And in a season of US Survivor where they're not overtly physical challenges and there are a lot of balance components, he's someone that's just won immunity in a balance challenge. And you tell yourself he's also an individual immunity threat in addition to all of that. So I, mm. I think high is an obvious next vote. Um, I don't really see him having many more moves left. He's exposed himself. He's someone in his own mind is thinking that he's blindsided Roxroy. Um, he'll have that kind of like air of swagger around camp and he's really easy pickings for a future vote. Yeah, agreed. And to add, not just an immunity threat, but an amulet holder. So if the amulet war is going to start and we'll talk about it, Dre's got trinkets that could ho- hopefully help her win uh, Lindsay has an alliance, like an actual majority alliance of numbers that could help her win. Like, what does High have here when he is definitely a strategic threat? He's been a big player. He's been like definitely someone who's extremely visible in the game. He is a physical threat. 
and he's an amulet holder. Like he has guns pointed at him without a lot of protection, which someone like Roxroy might even be a shield for. Like even a couple of votes, they feel like Roxroy is unworkable. We have to get rid of him. Like at least it's not you. Um, whereas I feel like now Romeo could definitely like skate through for a while and we'll just kind of hide behind Oma. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't get the move. And, and when we talk about it from a jury perspective, it does make it look like high is being played. Like, as you said, like he can't claim the move because the move isn't good for him. The move's only good for Oma. So it, like we talk about the language, like it does seem like a manipulation, whether Kai, Kai clearly does have agency in that. It's not agency we agree with. He's made a decision we disagree with, but it makes it feel like Oma brought this to you. He beautifully used language to make it look like it makes sense to you. He, he worked with your mutual legitimate annoyance with Roxroy for his strategic game, but not for yours. So yeah, it, to me, it makes High look played and manipulated. Whereas Oma, you know, Oma gets a move that is a well done, but also just perfectly positions him. Like they're opposite moves to me, like how much I really like it for Oma and just how much I didn't like it for High. And like, watching these power players come in from from the pre-merge, like Romeo was one at Ika, High was definitely one at Vati, and then kind of Oma. And if you look at the way that Oma has kind of outplayed the others in different ways, like High is part of the majority, but losing agency and, and kind of options with every vote and Romeo immediately not even being in the majority, like I feel like, not, not to go on too much about it, but the way that Oma has kind of run circles around them to be in the best possible position for not just him, but his entire pre-merged tribe is actually kind of enthralling to watch. Yeah, Omar, Omar's on fire. Um, I'm, yeah. I know we're talking a lot about him in this Yeah, episode, it's so good, though, but I love like, it. He's so in, good. <laughs> in, 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 in terms of the gameplay, he has completely outwitted and outplayed every single person there so far. Um, and the fact that no one's picked up on it is exceptional. Um, mm-hmm. The real question is um, what, like, Omar's destiny, I feel, is in Mike's hands. So if if Mike gets back when these tribes get back together after this tribal council the next episode um, and questions get asked about why and how Roxroy went home, um, Mike is kind of like the pivot here. So is Mike going to say, well, you know, High approached me and wanted to do this because he was, you know, High thinks it's his move? Mm-hmm. Um, or does Mike kind of throw Omar under the bus? That's real, the real kind of like, question mark in terms of like the future dynamic we see how this season unfolds um but you know i i think mike is at a point where he's also hiding he's hiding behind jonathan he's hiding the fact that he's a relatively physical player there maybe the second most physical um in terms of brute strength on the on the male players um and he might just stick his head under the sand to try and and dodge any kind of like responsibility and whoever he throws under the bus could be in trouble. Mm. I mean, I do think that the way that Omar set up. So first part is that he did make it feel like high's idea and high does go to Mike. So he has that out. The yes. second part is that he has been in the radar to the degree that people are worried from a jury perspective where rocks is like, it's not Omar. So I do think that there's a strong chance that it doesn't come back to him. And the third part being that even with all of these kind of shields that he's put in for himself, if they, if it somehow gets back to him, I don't know how much it matters because who's he going back to? Okay. Dre is mad and Dreya blames Omar. Let's say that that's true. And she doesn't blame Mike and high because Dreya says when she goes to her new tribe, these aren't my closest allies. So whoever she feels are her closest allies, probably like a Mike and a high, definitely rocks Roy. Um, she's going to be mad at them. But even if he has made Dreya mad, he still has the numbers. Okay, so you've really pissed off Drea. Hi and Mike have caught on. They're all against you. And there are trinkets there. But you have all of Taku and Romeo. 
So I think even if it comes back to him, he's now in the position where like it's actually too late for them to realize because they are relying on him. Like they're all relying on his numbers because he has all of them and they really only have him. Yeah, they just don't have the numbers to do anything about it if they realize it's him and are angry about it. See, I um I think Mike might have missed an opportunity in in terms of not voting for Romeo because Mike clearly knows going to that tribal council that Roxroy is the target. He's copying four votes to one and he's out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's just like Roxroy, if Mike gets to that final tribal council, Roxroy will have some kind of resentment that his closest ally just let him go for no reason. And mm. at least from an optics perspective, um, if it's a 3-2 vote, Mike can go, do you know what? I didn't vote for you. You know, someone yeah. else did. Because I feel like Roxroy is going to have a bit of resentment there on that jury because he's just that type of guy. Yeah, I, I feel like the worst thing someone can do is, like, like what Croc was trying to do with Ben, like, yeah. oh, well, I'm going to let you go, but I'm not going to vote for you. I think that that's petty or like a, you're a little man coach move, but I think Roxroy would enjoy it. So it's about reading that jury. Well, I agree. If Mike can stand up and be like, I knew about it, but I couldn't put your name down. I feel like Rock would say, yeah, I like that. I like that you didn't put my name down. I feel like that's something that would be important to him. And I also think that then he has some plausible deniability for Drea coming back. But there's so many parts of this for Mike. So he can be in on the plan and not vote that way, but know what's happening. But like for Mike, it was hurting me because I felt like he had the right instincts for the plan in general. Like he doesn't want Roxroy to go. He knows that it will kind of show their cards. Like he he's very aware about how he's perceived. He's like known to be like a solid guy. He doesn't want to put off allies like Drea, for example, by voting out rocks and making the move that her even being there. Um, so I loved his instincts on it, but then he doesn't get the win. And I feel like for two number ones, like Hi and Mike have not agreed yet. <laughs> you know, like I feel like probably Mike won out with the Lydia vote. If it was like Jonathan versus Lydia, Hi obviously votes for Lydia. I feel like Mike, we've always thought was like a big influential factor in that. Last week, ironically, um, High was the one who really wanted Romeo to go this week Mike is the one that's arguing for Romeo to go so that was like a funny about faith but it feels like Mike has had the win so far in ways I actually haven't fully agreed with like I didn't agree last week but I agreed with Mike this week and he doesn't get the win like I feel like in their partnership High probably needed a win and yes it's good to like compromise as an ally but I feel like he seemed really close to rocks he knows that there's like a warning shot here which actually ends up you know kind of manifesting for the other tribe for, for Drea but you actually, yeah, you're alerting Drea, who has tons of um, advantages that they're Stop. actually at least somewhat aware of. Yeah, like the be- Beware, which Mike's a part of, Amulet, which High is a part of. Like, they know that they're alerting a powerful player to the fact that they're not with her, but they've done this without her. I wish Mike had got his way <laughs> because obviously I don't agree with the move. And, I, and while I think it's bad for High, I also think it's really, really bad for Mike. So I was agreeing with him, but I was sad that he couldn't, you know, get it done on this one. I mean, there's a few things Mike could have done. Uh, like, is there any, if, if, if he realizes that Hi and Omar and Romeo are 100% hell bent on getting rid of Roxroy, all he needs to do to whis- is whisper to Roxroy at that tribal council, you know, you're done, mate. You know, play your shot using in the, dark. the word mate, play your shot in the dark. Yeah. Play your shot in the dark and hope that somebody, you know, that you pick out the right one and then it just don't react badly. Just play your shot in the dark. Like if, if he, 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 you have an opportunity to save your ally. And sometimes the hardest thing to do out there is to sacrifice a bit of your own game for somebody else. Um, I did that when I played Australian survivor, um, I saved Kara. I saved an entire tribe of brains people. Um, and 
it helped my game in the grand scheme of things. Um, and it was beneficial. Um, I think Mike just literally laid down his guns, went along with a plan, and he's just worse off in the grand scheme of things because he's lost a really close ally and he's not in control. I just feel like he feels he needs to be in lockstep with High. Like if he's going to say that to Roxroy, then he's specifically gone against High. And it's not only that he doesn't even have the numbers to do that in a meaningful way and actually save Roxroy at this tribal council, like to do that and like, not even have the capacity like, to have a one in six chance of saving Roxroy and you've deviated from it, unless you can do it in a really stealthy way so that no one ever knows you tipped him off, which would probably be best case scenario. But like to even maybe out that fracture with high or to not be there with his number one. I think that's the issue for him, even though like, I don't think that his allies making good decisions in this, in this moment. I think it's, it's an unfortunate thing for him to go with, but I do understand him like sticking with his closest ally in the game. Yeah. And, and then sometimes it's a question of, you know, it's a judgment in terms of who you're aligning with and why. And I think high is the kind of person that would push somebody over the cliff. If it meant there was a slightest thread of advantage for himself. And I don't see High doing anything for anyone except High. He's eye-centric. Um, and Roxroy probably would have looked out for Mike. And with so few players left in the game, um, you've really got to be able to navigate it and keep your friends close. Um, Roxroy was a friend of Mike. Yes, High's a friend of Mike as well. But in the one in four or one in five chance that Roxroy pulls out a save scroll, whether he's told right before they walk off to tribal council or at tribal council, stealthily either way, Mike could have tried to turn it back on Omar. Um, but like he, he, I, my protection of Mike is this. He is trying to play under the radar and then, I, I, I don't see what he can say at the end game when you're playing so deliberately under the radar, someone else is going to have a better story than you. Um, what, what, what is Mike's narrative to win unless he's up against, you know, I, I, I can't, I actually can't see a circumstance where he wins. He's just not doing much really, Shannon. I mean, like, yeah, he's just making bad choices. Other people in control rather than him. His allies are dwindling down and he's not taking any active action. And I think that's his choice to just hide in the shadows, but not hide in the shadows like Omar is and really sticking his hands into the game and controlling it. He's just hiding and hoping to progress along. Yeah. I mean, I think that it would be a social thing. Like he knows that it's really been on those social connections and that's what he'd be hoping to win with, which is, you know, touch and go with a modern survivor jury. But it's interesting what you say about like Rox is a solid number of him. And I do think Rox is like, I give you my word and I'm with you kind of guy. Hi, I thought this was interesting language. He says about Mike to Omar that Mike considers me his number one. Now, I don't know if he's trying to make it look like there's distance between him and Mike to Omar, or if he really does feel like Mike considers me his number one, but I've That's got my other options, which I think would be wrong on his behalf because i do think like at this point mike is his best that i can't see where his other numbers are because taku are prioritizing each other but i just wonder if there is that distance there based on that language the that language if 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 i heard something like that that would be the most critical critical thing ever shannon because do you know who high's number one is it's high he <laughs> is literally out there playing for himself and himself only 
And if you can't read that in terms of being one of the players in the game and tell yourself, this guy is not going to be there for me when I need him, you have to get rid of them as quickly as possible. There is nothing worse than a ally slash survivor player that isn't willing to do anything for yourself. When you're trying to make a deal with someone, and that's what Survivor's about, striking a deal that's mutually beneficial to all parties, whether it's a two, three, four, five, or six-way alliance, it, 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 it has to work for everyone. And I think High only makes deals that work for High. And he, from his perspective, has made this deal with Omar because he thought he was making a move he wasn't in control um, and he's just, I don't know, he's just burning relationships. And then Omar has even more information. Omar's running a counterintelligence information, like operation there. He's, he's said numerous times, the only thing that matters out there is information. And then do you know what? He's spot on. He's absolutely spot on. And Omar has that information. Imagine he goes up to Mike and says, do you know what? Hi said to me that you think I'm the number one or the words that he used, you know, the verbatim words that he used. It's, it's just like, that's just damaging. Like, well, mm. what would Mike think? What would Mike think? Mm. See, I think High's option here, I, I think the move to take a Romeo would have been fine. Like, that's an issue that I know it's an easy move and maybe you had some, like, capacity to do more here because there are smaller numbers and maybe it seems like a little bit of a waste and not a big move with this new kind of situation. But I actually think that that's fine. You've been arguing, let's just end that. I think that would have been a fine move. I think it, it, another option, if you're going to break the majority, considering we are now rushing to the end game and you need to think about your positioning, I would have loved to see him take out Omar. And I know that it's, yeah. it's a credit to Omar that he is, you know, I mean, I would have hated to see it, but I know that it's a credit to Omar because he is under the radar and people don't see how much he's doing. So they don't know what a threat that is. But even beyond just Omar's threat level, it's the Taku threat level. So if High is thinking, okay, Let's, you know, we keep Romeo in the game, which isn't great, but we cut off a connection to Omar. I don't know how much he knows about how much Omar's making those connections. But we take out Omar here. We have the power to do it. We have the numbers because Omar's going for Roxroy. So you go to Mike, who does seem like he's going to do what High wants. We're going to do this. You go to Roxroy, say, um, Omar's going for you. You have three votes right there. You've done it. You take out Omar. And even if you don't realize what a threat you've just taken out because he's so good at being under the radar, you've cut Taku off at the knees. Now you come back to eight, assuming the other three, three Takus make it, assuming that they think Tori will go, which he does, um, in that like Romeo will get voted out kind of position that you would have assumed. Now you have Drea who's with you, who's with Rock. You haven't taken out Rock. You're with Mike. And you've got all of the trinkets. You've got Drea's trinkets. And you're against like a Taku three and Romeo you're kind of forcing Lindsay and Jonathan to your side. Like, even though you've taken out an ally, it's like, where else are they going to go? They don't have the relationship with Romeo, and now they're not in the majority or even the semblance of the majority. So that positioning would have been, I think, probably what Omar would have done in that position because it's probably a similar counter move to what he ends up pulling off by taking out Roxroy. So if I wanted to make any big move here that wasn't just taking out Romeo, I know that it's like fan fiction and clearly just take out the biggest threat and we see everything, I get it. I know that, that Omar's put defenses in places to stop that from happening. But that would have been an impressive move. Like that would have been a, a move you take to the jury. And we would have been sitting here and being like, hi, get three cheesy points. And and that's exactly why Omar's move was so fantastic in this episode. With five people left, when you're doing a move, it's high risk, high reward. Um, Omar <laughs> took a big pun. risk. Omar took a big <laughs> risk in going yeah. to high mm. because like like you said, High had the opportunity to flip it on a dime and say that, you know, Omar's trying to run the show here. Let's let's break up this Taku alliance of four. 
He didn't. Mm-hmm. He fell for yeah. it. Hook, line, and sinker. Omar gets his tick in the box. Um, Omar has that in the draw to talk about at a later date. It actually elevated High's threat level, um, put him more kind of like in the middle of the game, but he's in control. His tentacles are extended and he's looking really, really good in terms of Omar. And then High is just kind of like ripe for the picking essentially. Yeah, like every week we're like, it kind of just feels like they need to have just one conversation to work out what Omar is doing and talking to everyone, but they're not having the conversation and he's reading those relationships well enough to know that there's enough disparity between everyone else that he can come in with all the connections and be just having the conversations that matter undetected because he's so much out in front from a relationship standpoint. I really feel like Omar is playing like the super fan dream game that like every listener, be honest, you have fantasized about going out there being the puppet master, having quippy little confessionals, and no one knows you're doing it, but then on TV, you're like, oh my god, look what Omar did. Everyone wants that. Every Survivor fan has dreamed of yeah. doing that. Omar, who's a huge super fan, is going out there and literally playing like the Rob Cicinino game. Everyone wants to play. Everyone wants relationships with everyone, numbers on the bottom that they can just wield and put together and separate as they want to take out whatever threats they want to. Like, everyone wants to play that game. Like, he's literally having the super fan dream right now. Yeah, and do you know what? He's doing. He's dealing with the cards that he's been dealt with extremely well. Um, and if he's been dealt cards like High that can't read the room and they're so self-absorbed and not self-aware enough to kind of like read, like read the true dynamic of the tribe, then he's just he's he's doing the best that he can in that situation, and it's really really impressive so far. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that's harsh on High. Like, I think High did great stuff pre-merge, was controlling a lot. I just think he's been snookered in parts by decision-making I disagree with, and also I think that he's been outplayed um, in a way that I think he has very few options now and is now like maybe looking at things in a bit of a myopic way. Um, you cut off Roxbury, like he's an option for you in a way he isn't for Omar. Romeo is not. Like Romeo is spite voting you. So I just feel like, don't agree with the move. Um, for Rox, I want to say like Jacques clocked Rox last week. He was like... Mm-hmm. Rox is not in a good enough position. Um, he's like a possible target. And if it happens, he'll have like no strategic avenue to claw his way out of that. And it was pretty prophetic because just a few days later, that's exactly what happened. Um, it was interesting for me, for for Rox, like he obviously put people off socially. And that's like the first thing. But like for me, when he's sitting at tribal council, and he's like, it was such a calm day. I'm like, but you know, there's a shot in the dark. So you have to think that your alliance has a plan B in case Romeo plays a shot in the dark that you don't know about. Sounds like it's you at the very least your plan B. Or would try to blindside Romeo, which you're clearly saying they're not doing because you're talking about how calm and predictable it is. Like, I'm confused for for Roxroy, and I'm sure that it is just a you have to play to who you are kind of thing. But like, how did he think that in season 42 when there are so many outs and we're so, you know, like gamified, how did he possibly think that this old school vote was going to go ahead like he'd at least think that he's he's putting that that threat of the shot in the dark. Like, and he didn't seem to to register that at all. I think Roxroy was a bit kind of like pigeonhole in getting back the next day and having an all guys alliance. Um, and he really wasn't thinking about anything else aside from that. I get that interpretation from just watching the episodes. Um, mm. I I I I can't like I haven't seen Rox's um, exit media either, so I don't know what he thought his positioning or the dynamic on the tribe was but i think roxroy just wanted to go macho much like macho strong marching on toward the end 
where he'd be there standing next to Mike and Jonathan at a final tribal council and then he thought he might win Um, and that's not happening because he's gone. Yeah, let's chat Guy's Alliance because the Survivor Gods refuse to give me a break in what has been very Guy's Alliance 2022 for me to discuss after Australian Survivor. But like, I will kind of echo what I said in Australian Survivor. I do believe a Guy's Alliance is their prerogative. I don't think it's something that should be forbidden. Like, if people connect with other men, then that's something that they can have an alliance over. Like, I don't think it's something that shouldn't be allowed. I don't think it's really fair to say, like, it can't be a strategic trick or group that someone can have. Like, we've just, like, ruled off this avenue for players because that feels, it, it honestly feels unfair. I think, like, in a social game, that they're allowed to connect over something like what Josh said in Australian Survival was just boys being boys. Um, but I think also it speaks to the fact that this didn't work and that some people did not feel bonded by that trait. So while I feel that it is Roxroy's prerogative to try and initiate a guy's alliance, I also feel that for almost strategic reasoning of like, well, I'll be at the bond with that alliance. I have no relationship with at least some of you and, and Roxroy. And I have then a, like a much harder immunity chance. I think that's totally legitimate. And I think for high, like while it's Roxroy's prerogative to put that out there and want to do it, I actually think like it also makes a lot of sense for high that he just seems to not vibe with how comfortable he is with the guys alliance, which I also think is totally fair and definitely a risk when you put something like that out there because it does make people uncomfortable because as we spoke about with Australian Survivor, overpowering people to like the gender status quo is unsettling. Um, and at least in Australian Survivor, it was against like a progressing game precedent that was like tending towards women. The US has been dominated by men and tended to men in production. Like they haven't even seen Erica win. So I totally see why it would feel unfortunate to the audience. Um, and it didn't Australian Survivor, but even more so, it's like really pushing down on like a gender disparity that has widened and widened against women for so long. And I totally see that while there's something Ross wants to do, and I think. If that's his game plan and his connections he's entitled to, I also think that obviously High is entitled to be like, I just won't do that on like a principal level. And mm. that makes total sense to me as well. Yeah, look, I I think Rox thought his best chance of winning was against Jonathan and Mike. Um, and that is kind of like where I think the idea of a all guys alliance on Survivor 42 has come from. Um, aside from the fact that you can just pick off people. Um, was this the right time for it? Probably not. And I think having lived through Blood versus Water um, with you, Shannon, where we provided ample commentary on why it happened then, I don't think those circumstances are the same where you had this group of alpha males um, where Australian Survivor is designed from a challenge perspective at the individual side of the game for muscular females with low body weight. Um, I, I don't think it made sense for, like you said, for High, for Romeo, for Omar to tag along in an all-guys alliance where they just have no prospects of success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 is, is, is Roxroy a, um, a strategist and a classic survivor player? Um, Probably not. I think he filled his character type and arc quite well in terms of a very kind of like domineering father figure um, that kind of really told it like it is to the nth degree. Um, And I think he just thought it was the best thing for him and it wasn't for anyone else. And it was as simple as that. 
Yeah, I think if you look at like, why did this immediately fail in that the instigator of the men's alliance goes in this very episode versus like, why did it, it succeed in Australian survival for all intents and purposes? Like it got people to strong positions, it dominated large parts of the game, and then it ultimately did bear success in the game in the win. I think that firstly, it's like, okay, well, why do we come together in a men's alliance? Is it just that we're guys, which is meaningless and not important? Or is it that we're guys, so we have this much in common. And everyone from the Guys Alliance and Australian Survivor has been like, yeah, we actually just like had so much in common as met, like boys, boys, basically, who like the same thing. So they connected organically in a way clearly these people did not. Like Omar's like, I don't even know why I'm part of this. Like, it's just because I'm a guy. Like, I have no relationship with you and nothing in common with you other than that. So it's that like natural connection that doesn't exist here. Then there's the fact that they were fighting against some sort of precedent that I felt connected them more. Something also that was said in Exit Press for Australian Survivor, like, okay, well, we really felt like we were all going to get picked off um, in a way that felt very threatening to us. And while Jonathan says the big guys get picked off in US Survivor, they do often win. So they're not fighting against as urgent a precedent because men have had actually like all of the advantages and the game has tended towards them. So there's less to fight against where I feel like the Australian Survivor Boys Alliance felt like very bonded by like, if we let it happen again and like so many women were at the end of your season, George, and there's been more female winners, they felt like really that they were fighting against something that was that is actually more valid and legitimate. And then the other thing about it is that I think it's knowing the fandom and I like understanding like social norms to a degree, like the fact that I would be like, yeah, I don't like that. Like, I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to be part of that um at all <laughs> versus like i don't know that people in australian survivor were thinking about that as much i think that their sense of survivor was kind of from a casual standpoint where like they knew that there were more female winners and they kind of knew like those basic stats but they hadn't thought that much more about it and they weren't thinking like well the audience like that like i was aware of like people won't like this and like that's totally fair it's not super comfortable so i think it's like that sense of social consciousness that existed more in the u.s than in australian survivor which is probably a little bit of a testament to to casting. So I think for all those reasons, we see like a successful long-term boys alliance versus, yeah, it failed in like 20 minutes, if that. <laughs> like immediately, like the next confessional is Oma being like, no, and High is like even more no. So I think that it's interesting to see that disparity between a successful and a failing guys alliance. Look, I I think if the 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 question is what ties an alliance together, yeah. You need to have a common goal. You, sometimes having common interests in life is um, an obvious thing that will draw people together. Um, but equally, the the opposite of that is: do you have a common goal and a and a, a common ambition? Um, when you, when you strike a deal, if you're all working for the same cause, it will hold. Um, in the circumstance of the five. Well, sorry, six but now five guys that are left in Survivor 42, they don't have a common goal nor a common interest. It was never going to work mm-hmm. like it did in Australian Survivor where the, the goal of Mark, Jordan, Josh, Geordie was just crude survival because they were going to get picked off because they would have been in a minority situation. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think that that's a strong difference and I think that it shows like where I feel it's fine versus like, no, I don't understand this. Like just guys coming together. Like it's not only that it, it makes no sense to me as alliance. Like it will immediately fail. Like that's not a strong alliance, but oh, we're guys. So we have things in common. We have a common goal. We have common strategy. We have common ideas and interests. Yeah. Like that will bond people together the same way that any kind of identifying factors will bond people together when it's larger than just, oh, you have blonde hair and I have blonde hair. 
You know, like, does it have meaning though? Does it, does it speak to who you are as a person, that identifying factor? Does it speak to your interests, your beliefs, your values, your goals, your personality? Then it's more likely to stick together and then it's more likely to be meaningful and important and not just kind of silly. And it's like, okay, well, we're all guys. It's like, yeah, but we have no relationship to each other or anything in common. So that's not going to work. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's talk about the second group. And before we even get to the tribal council, like so much going on on the beach um, where Jonathan is going to turn on Drea. And like this is actually, I think, a sound plan that kind of mirrors what Oma's doing on the other side, where it's like, we're going to be tacos. So we're going to take out a big threat from the majority. We're also turning concurrently on the majority to take out this big threat. Grey is a, a bigger threat than Rothroy, and that's going to break it open in an even bigger way and is a much tougher plan because Drea has reads and signals and trinkets to work against it, whereas Rothroy is like, we weren't doing anything today. So it's a, it's a really tough plan that Jonathan's going, but I think in the same way that Oma's doing it, it's strategically sound. But it's in his approach that I think things start to get a little lost. So what did you think about what Jonathan was doing here? Um, well, firstly on Jonathan, um, I've really enjoyed watching him play. Um, I think he's been playing quite a flawless game um, for his archetype. And if he doesn't win immunity, he's clearly gone. Um, but I just think to that conversation with Lindsay and like, if I'm Jonathan, I would respond by going, that is a phenomenal plan, Lindsay. I didn't think of that. I would not be going, listen to me. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I, I'm, I'm just sitting there going, why is he saying that to her? She's got the better plan. Just do it. Yeah, her plan was literally do, better. Like, do hey, don't talk to your allies like that. And also her plan made so much sense. It's just like two or three, too. And I'm just thinking it's like, how do you think Lindsay's going to feel when you're just barking at her going, listen to me, you're not listening to me. And, and I'm just like, it's, it's just like, it just goes back to striking a deal, a negotiation. You've got to consider the perspective of the other side. And Jonathan simply didn't do that. Like if he went into that bargain with Lindsay with an open mind, listened to her logic and her reason, 
you would not have had the situation that eventually occurred when Jeff Probst, um, you know, did what he did. Um, and yeah, I, I think all Jonathan did was just burn a bit of his social capital. This was not mm-hmm. a good episode for Jonathan, unfortunately, because he's been playing quite well so far. Yeah, like he seemed really set on like his big move now that he had immunity and then he wouldn't hear anything else. And I think that a lot of the issues were symptomatic of that in this episode where like his allies are, are making salient points, but he's talking over them. He's like frustrated and ir- irritated and unhearing even like later at the tribal council when like it becomes beyond the game and it's bigger than that. And even then he seems like really annoyed to even be having the conversation because all he wants is like, I'm immune and I'm going to make this big move against Drea. Um, so to, to, to talk it through, like from, from the plans of that he and Lindsay had, so he wants to make Marianne the decoy. And that's based on, I think the wrong read. Like, I think what he's thinking is, okay, Tori, we have to tell Tori to vote for Marianne. That's like the presumptive other boot. They're both on the bottom. Let's just pile Drea onto that. Because if we start doing what Lindsay wants, which is like Drea votes for Tori, Tori votes for Drea, they might start swapping stories, start working together. And then Drea has an idol that maybe they're working together and going against someone like Lindsay. Firstly, he's safe. So if Lindsay, who's the vulnerable person in the alliance, is willing to kind of take the risk on that for her plan, I think he should just be like, you you do you, like whatever you're comfortable with because you're the one in this tiny little group who doesn't have an idol or immunity. So like if you're taking the risk, let's go with your plans. So I think that's a big thing. It's like to come in and like insist on something when you're not even one who's vulnerable. Um, I think that's a big part of it as well. But his his read on this is completely wrong because Tori is like the presumptive decoy. There's no love there. She's never working with Drea. Um, she's won two immunities. It's such an easy name to give to Drea to the point where Drea seems actually surprised that he would throw out Marianne. It's actually more suspicious. And it also necessitates him saying, oh, we're going to do Marianne because she has an idol, which Drea very correctly reads is like a major red flag for someone who also has an idol. And has if, an if idol, he's spoken then... to Lindsay, has the amulet. Like, she knows that she's a threat from that perspective. And he's saying it's an idol thing when Tori was right there from an immunity thing, like, as such an easy decoy. And um, I, I, I think that's where kind of, like, I, I don't understand why people get petrified of hidden immunity idols. If you know who has an idol, if you know who has an advantage, yes, it can stuff up a plan if you target them and play them. Alternatively, there's there's that kind of like mutual interest where you don't target them. You you go for the target that's just going to go home, and that was Tory. Um, mm. I, I I I think in terms of in terms of Jonathan's kind of viewpoint, I I agreed with him when he was saying in situations where people win individual immunity, they get complacent. But there's also a time and a place to do things. And I don't think that was the time or the place. This just was not the episode to do it. Like, he, I think he pulled his trigger too early. I think it's a fine move on Drea, although it is a huge risk that, A, you don't know what the other tribe is going to do and that will end up, they think it's going to be a Romeo, but it will trigger possibly a response from her if she was going to play an idol already. And it's more likely she'll play an idol in the small group, um, which is, I guess, fine if you're splitting on Tori anyway. But I think that, you know, if you're talking about them just doing a straight vote on Tory, it is something that seems to be mentioned. Lindsay says that to Marianne, like, Drea can keep her idol. Maybe we should all vote for Tory. At that point, Lindsay's not in danger. Marianne's not in danger, not even in danger of losing her idol. Like, if they want to get to the eight with all of Taku intact and definitely Marianne's idol, then 
like the sure way to do that is to all vote for Tory. So it clearly was something they were thinking about. It shows how much, you know, Marianne means to them. That was something they were thinking about. But in, in going for Drea, like Jonathan is hoping, okay, we'll put the three tacos on Drea. They'll both vote for Marianne. And in not giving Tory any true information about how we're going to Drea, they won't swap information here to, you know, let Drea know she should play her idol. Ironically, he's the one who's, who's, who's triggered her the most by saying the thing about we're going for people who have an idol. Lindsay's plan is that, okay, so Tory will vote for Drea, Drea will vote for Tory, and then Lindsay's going to throw a vote on Tory with Drea. So that's the three, two. So even if Drea catches wind of it and is like, oh, wait, I'm going to play my idol and vote for Lindsay, there are three votes on Drea. She's played her idol. There's a vote on Lindsay, but then Lindsay has split on Tory. So they have all the numbers here to, I think, go for Drea and split on Tory because Tory and Drea are never going to work together. Like they have so much option in capital. That's why I think the Drea move works here because worse comes to where she does play her idol. You've, you've burned an idol for her, which is great. And Tory goes anyway. I think if there's a risk that Drea and Tory are going to work together, then maybe that becomes a little dicey. But this was not a risk. Like Jonathan's read on that is completely wrong in the fact that Tory's already been told about the plan by Marianne. She's never going to tell Drea. Later, when they're in the discussion, Drea, even knowing she was going to cop votes from the majority, is immediately still on Tory. Like, there's no love lost there. And his misread of that threat of them teaming up and working together with her idol, swapping vital information, it's just never going to happen. And Lindsay correctly knows they have all the options here to, you know, vote for Drea, split on Tory, not risk Marianne at all. She's saying Marianne would go home. Obviously, Marianne would play her idol. So it's not about her going home. But they're not going to lose an idol here when, of course, you split on the person that you want to see go second, which is Tory. So Lindsay's plan is so salient, but he just doesn't seem to be hearing it at all. I think Lindsay and Tory had literally no option but to immediately target each other when they got to camp, and I'm not sure that either of them did that in a simplistic or effective way. Um, Lindsay wanted to get rid of Drea, hoping she wouldn't play the idol, but then you've got to tell yourself, what is Drea going to think from her perspective? She's got multiple advantages and trinkets she has a hidden immunity idol and do you know what if she plays it she gets to the top eight um i know that drea said and announced when she walked into that at tribal council i'm playing this irrespective for very very different reasons when she saw rox roy on the jury um but like drea could have had that same revelation mm-hmm. at camp where if you announce it as early as possible, you cause the kind of dysfunction that I did, which saw Mitch go home when I swung an idol around my neck and they weren't going to target me. It's it's the kind of like implicit immunity that you've spoken about before. And then that would have given kind of Drea the double bluff option of not playing an idol if she, if she was confident of the vote not going on her. Um, but... Um, uh, I, I, I look at it like this, um, and then I, I don't want to sound very blunt here, but um, Lindsay and Tori, in terms of players, I am not kind of, maybe it's just the edit, maybe because I'm watching this season just as a casual and I'm not reading a lot of exit media and I'm not reading a lot of forums. I'm just enjoying it as a member of the audience. Lindsay and Tori don't feel like they're doing much for me out there. Um, they're not the main characters, they're not the dominant players, and they're not the decision makers. And what they needed to do there 
was limit the risk to them as quickly and as effectively as possible. And that was to just simply target each other. You'd literally walk up to, uh, to Drea and to Marianne at the same time and go, let's just get through this vote. You both keep your idols. We're getting rid of the other one, Lindsay or Tory. Like that's the exact conversations they should have had. They all got a bit distracted because Jonathan was trying to take control, which is which is fine. It's what happened. Jonathan wanted to be proactive. Um, but I, I, I still don't know why Lindsay didn't just kind of like, you know, cut her losses, realize she's a 50-50 chance of going home because you tell yourself the most likely thing that Drea and Marianne are going to do is play the idol. Because if Drea plays an idol, if we had a, you know, a, a run-of-the-mill tribal council, if Drea plays the idol, Marianne gets up and must play her idol or vice versa. If Marianne gets up and plays her idol, Drea gets up and plays her idol. It's that kind of like draw card situation where you're not going to risk yourself going home if you're wanting four chance. And then they, they were literally a 50-50 chance of going home. But um, I know we had a very different sequence of events, which I'm sure we'll discuss shortly, Shannon. But it was kind of like, I think it was a missed opportunity from Lindsay and Tori's perspective to f- do something to take control in the game, which you can when there's only five people left, and they didn't do it. But I think for Lindsay, she is protecting herself by making Tory the split. So she should have made her the primary, not. The but split. what? But like, but there, but there is the shot to be taken there because how is it going to go against her if she's splitting on Tory? Like the only way that it can go against her is if Tory and Drea team up, which again she's reading correctly that it's never going to happen, and I don't think that it's a hard read. So the only way it can go badly is if. Tori goes to Dre and is like, they're going to vote for you, which is what Jonathan's trying to protect against her even knowing. But she goes, they're going to vote for you. The two of us will vote for Lindsay. Um, they'll either put three votes on you or even if Lindsay's splitting on me, they'll put two votes on you. Either way, I'll two will win out two to zero or two to one. It's just never going to happen. So in a situation where they're against Dreya, who has not an ally among them because Taku are ruling, she's not with Tori, and yes, has idols. I think there is the chance that you try and blindside her. And if you haven't, you can comfortably split. Um, you know, you're, you're getting Tori to vote for Drea. So she's going to either vote out the person who goes in Drea or she's going to sink her vote on someone who plays an idol. And yeah, she, she votes for Marianne and Drea, you know, votes for Lindsay. There's issues there. If they vote together, there's issues there. But if you've put Tori onto Drea, if they're not going to work together, which they're not, then you've protected. I think Jonathan's plan for sure, that puts Lindsay at risk because that becomes, all right, well, you know, if Mary, if, if, if the decoy is Marianne who plays her idol, Lindsay keeps saying she'll go home. Like she might play her idol. Now, if, if she's played her idol, there might just be one vote. It might be from Drea on Lindsay. She goes home. So yes, making the decoy someone who has an idol is not a good situation for Lindsay because at that point, an errant vote could send her home. But as long as you're making the decoy and the split Tory and there are enough numbers there and your own vote is going to Tory, I think that it's, fairly fine to take, I mean, pretty fine to take that shot at Drea. And if she played an idol, Tori goes home anyway, which is the outcome you're suggesting that she pitch anyway. I think that it's fine to make Tori the second there and not the primary. And co- correct me if I'm wrong, but Lindsay's amulet, she could use that as an additional vote, correct? No, she she would need to use it with High, who's not even there, Andrea. So oh, she, yeah, she just doesn't have an extra vote. Okay. I thought she might have had the opportunity to just does anyone have an idol or an advantage or at, at one point before they get up and vote, she can play her single amulet as an extra vote. 
Marianne has an extra vote. So if Taku wanted to use it, but, but they don't need to. Like they, they have so much control as three people who, yes, Drea has advantages, but Tori doesn't have anyone else to work with but Taku and neither does Drea. So I think that if you're going to take a shot, even though, yes, it's more likely that Drea will play an idol here than at a regular tribal council, I still think that it's a fine shot because I don't see how it can go that wrong with a Tory split plan. I see how Jonathan's plan to split on Marianne could go vastly wrong for Marianne or if she plays an idol for Lindsay. But I don't see how splitting on Tory goes wrong. And I was also thinking about your idea of implicit immunity. I don't think that Drea can have implicit immunity for that reason because I've always said, like, use implicit immunity if they can't split on you because they, they'll be too scared, but don't use it if they can split. And because I'm saying like it was worth going for her, even if she has an idol, like I think even if she's wearing it, you can, you can take that bluff there and be like, we're still going to vote for you. And we have enough numbers that if this goes south, we've split on Tory. So I think that she has to play it regardless. And I don't think she can do the implicit immunity thing just because she has no other outs or numbers in that group. But I think a lot of this is like, you know, good numbers for Taku, but a credit to them and how they've just been flying under the radar as a group and are actually controlling this vote. Like, I think if Jonathan doesn't win immunity, he's okay because he, Lindsay, and Mariana are in the pound seat. They do have an idol to protect their group if they need it. One of them is immune in Jonathan. Maybe if it had been, you know, Lindsay or another one of them, they would have been okay. And yeah, I think that they have a million outs that just split with three or five because while that shouldn't work mathematically, Dreyer and Tori will work with them before they'd work with each other. So it gives them a lot of potential and it's hard for it to really go wrong on, on Totaku. Mm. The the only real thing it's and, and this is when it comes down to the advantage because they would have had very very limited time back at camp when you factor in this tribe was sitting down and cooking together as a group which would have absorbed half of their scramble time when you tell yourself that Marianne and Drea should be feeling vulnerable as targets at camp because the idol is drawing heat and tension on them so one way to mitigate that is to just play your idol and make it to the next day that is the safest least risky thing to do um there could have been a potential for marianne to actually use her additional vote and then the worst case scenario there is in a 3-3 split the extra vote doesn't come back and then from marianne's perspective drea goes home there unless they're able to pivot lindsay and tory against each other which would have been a a safety first thing to do for both of them. Um, in in a situation like that, I, I I don't think Jonathan, Lindsay, and Tori are voting together as a block of three. But this is hypothetical talk. This isn't reality, and I don't think that Marianne and Drea had the the relationship to pull off something like that. Um, in the grand scheme of things something very different happened at this, uh, at this tribal council. Um, but by Jonathan steering the ship in the way that he did, it kind of led to an inevitable outcome where Drea really was going to play her idol no matter what. Yeah, I mean, he is, again, defensive and saying, like, I don't think she's going to play it. I think he was wrong on that read. He's definitely wrong on the, the Drea and Tori read. Like, I think that Drea was going to play it. So I think, you, you know, a lot of that is in the approach. With five people left, you tell yourself there is more benefit and value in playing the idol and getting to the next day. There's no there's no value in you going home, or sorry, you going to the jury bench with an idol in your pocket, particularly for someone like Drea that still has additional advantages. Same for Marianne. That extra vote with eight people left could be critical. I know extra votes don't tend to make an impact in Survivor, but the longer she gets there, 
the longer she stays in the game rather, and she has that vote in her pocket, it just becomes more and more important when you can slice and dice with so few numbers. Mm, well, it was an option for her in this tribal council. Like if they really want to be clear at the Taku three that they're going to win, they can use the extra vote to split proper split two to two to two. If, if, if somehow Tori and Dre are going to work together, then their Taku three can have a four to two majority, which is like a pure split. I just don't think that was necessary because Tori and Dre are just never teaming up, but they could have had a pure split in that. I think the fact that they don't even look at that when, yes, this is the time when the extra vote is probably going to be the most powerful because it's the fewest numbers that you'll have at least for a few rounds um in in this five um so yeah it it does give you the most power for quite a while since the pre-merge i think the fact that they don't go with that shows how clear they were that they just had all the power and that they were keeping tori and drea very very separate and they could just split how they wanted so i think they were in a safe position but i want to give credit to marianne because She's in such a good position, I feel like, for them all to be saying now, like, it's Taku, it's going to be the Taku 4, and she's part of that. When she skated through not being in the majority, when she was the name least talked about from these outsiders, Chanel, Romeo, Tori, we always hear her last. She was the one they should have been targeting the most. She has an idol, she has an extrovert, and she had actual strategic relationships, like, good on Oma and Taku for hiding how close that was, but it's such a failure on the rest of the non-Taku majorities for allowing Marianne to get to this point where Taku are now emboldened and empowered because the other outsiders have gone who were way less of a threat to them. Like Marianne was easily the most threatening outsider for all of those reasons, and they've let her get through. So I'm just really impressed with her position now because now I think she's in a really good spot with Taku. Marianne is in a good spot, um, but I I just don't know if the Taku four going to hold together. I I think it is in Lindsay's best interest for that to happen um, because not much else is happening for her. Um, but I, I, I think of someone like Lindsay, I really am seeing an Erica situation evolving here where it's someone completely passive, under the radar, they get to the end without having really burnt any bridges and then somehow they come up as a surprise winner. Um, so Lindsay will want to hold it together. I think... I think Marianne will have that same incentive to hold it together. Yeah. Um, and then you have floaters that don't have anything in common in the other four. Um, two enemies in Romeo and High. Um, you've got Drea there who is is, is Drea um, and has her kind of like um, incumbency um, for better or worse in the game. Um, and then you tell yourself, you just need to be a four and drag one over and then you look at someone like Romeo and then they can attach themselves on. Um, who would who would that serve the best? Um, probably serves Omar because if he gets to the end um, against, say, Marianne and Lindsay, um, he's, he's looking quite strong at a final tribal council. Um, Jonathan also kind of hides his physical strength there, but there will come a point in the game where he won't win individual immunity and he will just be picked off because he's a big, strong man. Um, so he'll really have to network on his social relationships and capital. But he burnt that with Lindsay this episode. So um, probably not good for Jonathan. Um, will they hold together? I'm, I'm not sure. I, 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 I am unspoiled, but I don't foresee that as the likely kind of consequence in the next episode. I feel like we talk about common goals for alliances and it behooves all of Taku to do this because they'll be taking out other big threats for Omar. That's been his group. That's one he can feel the best about and actually have a majority with and take out again, like threats like Mike and high and Drea that they can come against. 
for Jonathan, he's probably the one who's least benefited by this because he has really close relationships with like Mike, for example. But he's the one who's saying Taku 4 to the end. So mm. having shields in numbers can be good for him, who is a threat that people want to take out. Well, it's like, well, if you have the majority, then people aren't looking at you. Lindsay, I feel like, is a very social player. I don't think that she's the same as Erica because I feel like Erica was on the bottom quite a bit and like fought back. Lindsay, you can say it's been passive, but it's been very, very, I think, actively social. And I think we saw a lot of that in this episode. She's managing things. She's always part of the majority in the numbers. And I think that speaks to social acumen. So these are her numbers. These are the relationships that she feels best about. She's also talking about Taku 4. And Marianne's been on the bottom and doesn't really have other social options in the way the others have had with the other members of the majority. So I think it makes a lot of sense when you get to four of eight, you're all still somehow together. You have Romeo as a number. I think it just makes so much sense for all of them. So I think it would be, you know, a a great move. And I think the fact that we even hear Lindsay, as you're saying, suggest Tori as a, as a primary. Yes. There's there's some self-protection in that. And it doesn't even end up going that way. I think because they knew they had it covered, but it shows how much she's also trying to protect, not just herself, but Marianne and Marianne's idol by thinking, by, mentioning briefly to Marianne that we saw maybe she just be Tori and Dre will keep her idol. I think it shows the self-preservation that they have, not just for them, and they're not trying to flush Marianne's idol. Like Jonathan wants them to get there with their extra vote, which they do, and their idol, which they don't for other reasons, but they want to get there with the powers of Taku 4, not just being in the numbers, but actually having trinkets and control. Um, they all seem to want to do it. I don't know how much like the tribal council will affect it and you know how much things get messed up, but I really think they have potential here to do something that really benefits all of them. They came in as the strongest tribe, the biggest threat into this merge. Like they should have been the target, and they've worked it down that none of them have gone through the merge. And I think that's really impressive, and they should capitalize on the opportunity that they've given themselves. Look, I I feel like they won't be able to resist the temptation of voting off Jonathan the moment he doesn't win immunity. And if that's the next episode, the Taku Four will collapse. Um, I hope they can because I think there are bigger threats than Jonathan like I don't know that he's a huge jury threat um, I think him winning can actually help you it means that High's not winning that Mike's not winning like you know he's, he's meant to be the meat shield and Omer's the brain shield like if he wins that's great for them if he loses he becomes a target that they can then kind of everyone's focused on that and then they self attack someone else out like there's a lot of potential in using Jonathan's strengths and I think that's absolutely what they should be doing as a group The the, the target if I'm sitting there a member of the Taco Four, I I tell myself this. You target high, you bring in Romeo, you give Romeo the satisfaction of his enemy going home, and then you're four out of seven and you coast home. That's how they yeah. hold together. That's true John, as well. A lot of if, options. If and and then Marianne doesn't have to use her advantage. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to kind of like get goaded by going it's not going to be a 4-4 split. We'll actually have a 5-4 majority here, Marianne, and then we coast to the end, which she could just do, but then there's always a hesitation. Um, I just I just feel like Jonathan doesn't win immunity in the next episode, and then they just try and turn on him and get rid of him because they think he's just going to go on a run. Hopefully I'm wrong. Um, it, it would be exciting and unexpected um, if those four members of the Taku 4 kind of get to the end. Um, Let's wait and see what happens. Like this, there's still kind of like other factors at play here. Um, Mike could feel himself floating around on the outs. He might want to attach on, you know, rather than Romeo. Um, mm. But it, it, who does this not bode well for? It doesn't bode well for High. I don't see a situation here where High is going to build a majority of in in this group of eight in the next episode. In fact, he's just a target. Um, where would Drea see herself positioned? She's got 
a few existing relationships. I feel after what happened at that second tribal council, um, she's got a lot more kind of in common with Marianne now than she did at the start of the episode. Um, so that might give her kind of like a bit of potential and the ability to manoeuvre through the game. Um, but I, I also don't see Drea being a target. So it's just like Jonathan could be a target if he doesn't win the Muni in the next episode. High is already a target because of the way he's been playing the game. And then factoring in all of this is whether that group of four can hold together, who is the additional tack on five, how they feel about being a tack on. Um, and then, you know, it'll all unfold from there, Shannon. I think Romeo is either a sacrifice or a tack on re- works really well for that group. I also find it interesting. Like we talk about why Taku are benefited by going together for Lindsay. She has the amulet and it's interesting that she was willing to take the first shot against another amulet person in trying to go for Drea. Um, knowing that would trigger an amulet war, knowing that that would mean high knows that next time he can try to take her out and get the amulet. But for her, I think that's a great move because she, I think would have had the, the numbers well over high. Um, you know, even if she doesn't know that they're going to take out Rockthrow on the other side, they still have a pretty strong Taku group and the extra vote and all of these things. So I think that was a strong move from her to try to do that. I think the amulet is an interesting proposition to begin with because it's only good till the final six and they need to take out two people before it's an idol. So if it's not, if, if like one of the amulet three doesn't go next time, then it will never be an idol. They need to be the next two votes for the person to have one round to use the idol. So I don't know if that's something they're thinking as well, if that makes high more of a target, that, um, if that means they try to get Drea, knowing that she's used her idol, not knowing that she has knowledge of power as well. Um, I think that this amulet war is going to be a big part of the dynamics. And I think that High thinks he probably has numbers to win it because he's been a power player. I don't think he does. Drea knows she has trinkets to win it, and she's right on that. Well, that went out. And Lindsay, I think, does have numbers to win it. So I think we'll see if, if it gets won at all, if that's a war that gets waged in the next couple of votes. But I would probably put my money on Lindsay for that because I feel the best about Taku. I... um. How do you play the individual amulet, Shannon? Was this so explained you, in 41 and I just can't remember? No, it wasn't in 41. So the three of them together have to combine for an extra vote, which is obviously never going to happen. They're now like on oh. exactly different pages. Um, and then if one of them gets voted out, then the last two, so say they'd voted out Dre, then High and Lindsay could come together to steal a vote. But then if Lindsay votes out High, then it's an idol. So there's no way to individually play it until you voted out the other two people who hold it. So that's why it's more of a bounty than it is mm. a collaborative tool. And that's why I think it's interesting that Lindsay tried to make good on that bounty for the first time, try to take a shot at someone with it um, before everything went down. And it didn't work, but I think it was a strong move because I think she's in a good position to try and win that war. Mm. So yeah. that that's interesting. I think maybe from like the producer's perspective, they're hoping that these amulets get passed around in camp um, but that's really a consideration that hasn't happened in the two seasons of Survivor that we've had them so far. Yeah, I would be passing it immediately. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't want this bounty. Um, but I don't know how much, like, you know, if other people are even willing to take it. It just seems like something that they were willing to ignore and be like, oh, it's fine. We don't even care about the amulet. Like, let's just work together. But I think it becomes harder to ignore when, oh, Drea just has gone. Oh, well, if I vote out high, like, if you're looking at high or Mike. And voting out high over Mike means you get an idol. Like, that shifts you one way once one of them is gone. So I think with three of them, it's like, I'm pretty far from that idol. But once one of them gets taken out, it's like, yeah, I might as well take it now. Take the other one of you out. And especially if it becomes like a 50-50 against two Alliance members, it really makes me strongly lean towards the person who will give me an idol. So I think that in that way, it could start, you know, having more of an effect. But I want to shift to talking about the Tribal Council and kind of what changes through seeing Rocks on, on the jury bench. 
the first thing I want to say is like Tori plays a shot in the dark. I want the thought experiment. Um, it doesn't seem like she was going to do that until everything went down. I think her playing her shot in the dark was the best bet regardless. And I want to run through this with you because they're using her on a three to two. Or I don't know if she thinks it's like a four to one. I don't know if she knows that Lindsay's splitting on her, but even more so if she thinks it's four to one, her vote really doesn't matter. But if Drea plays her idol, she's done. Like she's the split decoy. Um, and she would be kind of remiss not to think that that's true. Like she seems to think that Drea going is her only out, that thus Drea has to be blindsided because she can't play her idol. And I think she's very aware of that. So, you know, if she doesn't play the shot in the dark, it's three to two. If she plays it, it's two to two. And Drea's going on the revote anyway, or she's played her idol and it's against you, but at least you have your one in six chance of the shot in the dark. So I don't think she can vote herself out by losing her vote there. I think there's always going to be at least two solid votes onto Drea, or maybe she thinks three, that if Drea doesn't play her idol, Drea's going home. And if she does play her idol, you want to take the shot. So I don't know if she was going to do it. I don't think she was. But I think that that was her best move, regardless, to play the shot in the dark. I think the fact, and like clearly it never happened, but the fact that she didn't immediately target Lindsay meant she had to play the shot in the dark. Because you tell yourself, walk into that tribal council, the moment that Drea plays the idol, Mary Ann's going to play the idol because she's not going to risk it. Jonathan's immune. I'm 50 50 here. And do you know what? I'm going to win this coin flip. Like yeah, it, well, it, the it, worst it's coin just, ever. But yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, 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 it's just will. like, um, uh, uh, g- given what happened at the tribal council, where the the voting didn't take place, it it removed all options. Um, the real thing is like, you know, I I, I would have been shooting my arm up if I'm Lindsay or Tora going, I'll play the shot in the dark. You know, try and play it first and hope that you're lucky and you get it first. Um, but yeah, like she 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 definitely had no option before the tribal council happened, um, let alone after, but to play the shot in the dark. You absolutely have to. It is the best thing to do. Yeah. Like the question has always been like social game versus shot in the dark. Like even when Chanel like like, splits on Mike for like to protect against the shot in the dark, like he hates that. I mean, she wouldn't have to vote for anyone, but it would be a less teamwork move. She's like trying to make alliances. She's trying to like invest in something and she doesn't vote with the group and instead does a self-interested thing, not of voting for anyone, but of saving herself. But I think at this point, she's been on the bottom long enough. She's not in power. Like self-preservation needs to be key. So I think making that individual move of playing the shot in the dark definitely was her best numerical bet regardless. It obviously ends up happening, but I don't think it was going to happen going into tribal council. But so I think walking into tribal council, there's a few things happening. So Drea, I think, is at least thinking about playing her idol because of the comment that Jonathan made, which she said was a red flag. We're voting for Marianne because she has an idol. I think she's thinking about it. As we've said, it's a small tribal council. There's a lot of merit to, I have a, I have a few things in the bag and this is a scary place. They're looking at threats. Let me play this. And I think, you know, we'll talk about obviously the race conversation, but that aside, she sees Roxworth on the jury. That's her longest term ally sitting there. I think then you're definitely playing the idol. Like, you know, social nuance aside, how can you not, when you see a member of the majority taken out, the alliances are broken, now it's like all bets are off. So while I, th- I think she can't rely on implicit immunity because I think that they can split, I don't see how she doesn't play the idol, especially once she's seen Roxroy. Like, do you think that she would have played it before the conversation even happened? I think Drea has to play it no matter what, given that she's got the knowledge is power advantage and an amulet. She gets to a one in eight situation. Um, 
you know, there's always a chance you're going to win immunity. Mm-hmm. Plus, you can work your magic in camp the next day. Um, I I feel like she was going to play it irrespective, um, just based on the circumstances, let alone the Jonathan comment. Um, but I think after she saw Roxroy there, um, it was just never in doubt, like we saw. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think that changes anything. I don't think Dre is going home at this tribal council. And I think Tori is going home regardless because while Drea seems to think it's Marianne and we can talk through that, like she seems to be actively trying to change the vote to Tori during the conversation. Tori at that point seems vocally in on the Drea plan. So something has changed in the group where Jonathan thinks that Tori is going to vote for Marianne. Something has happened where they fill Tori in. I think what they're doing is like, maybe let's not try and spook Drea. We'll leave her on Marianne but we'll tell Tori to go in on Drea. That's our three votes. Lindsay will vote for Tori. Now it's a three to one to one. And if Drea plays the idol, we'll vote Tori out on the revote. So I think that's how they're splitting. Um, So I think Tori is going home regardless on Drea's idol play. Um, That's what I feel is happening. So I think that that's what becomes really relevant as we shift to the conversation around race. But Drea and Marianne come in and see a precedent that is being started with two black people on the jury. And they know that they're aiming to add to it or could be a victim to it. So Marianne knows that she's going to try and send Drea out. That'll be three people. That's the pattern. That's the thing that she's trying not to contribute to. Drea is probably voting for Marianne and thinks that's the vote. Or if being an extreme threat to herself in the red flags, in Roxbury being there, in the fact that she's a big target, like with the need to play her idol. So they're saying this is a very personal thing that we will not be contributing to this pattern. We will not be perpetuating the cycle. Defensively, we'll play our idols because we're not going to be victim to it. And And offensively, we're going to change our vote so that we don't vote for each other, so that we're not contributing to it, which I think is completely their prerogative. And that's what I think got missed in the conversation when Jonathan's making it personal and defensive. Drea explains so well that it's a personal thing to her. She doesn't want to be part of the pattern in any way, contributing to putting someone into that position once the pattern has started, or worse, being that third Black person on the jury, which she would know is a massive threat and and would have been the situation if she wasn't protecting herself. And I think it's absolutely their prerogative to stop that pattern from happening. So what I'll say is this, Shannon, I think I think players are allowed to have whatever thoughts they want out there. Um, and if, if you take yourself back about a year ago when this was filming, um, you, you've got a very difficult social and political climate in the US. Um, you have a lot of different issues happening over there um, impacting race um, and socioeconomic status and other kinds of disadvantage that people have um, in community groups have been feeling over um, decades, hundreds of years, um, if you if you go back on the issue there. Um, and and Survivor is a social experiment. Um, it, it refl- it's a microcosm of society. Um, and Drea felt that red flag when she saw Roxroy on the jury. Um, she's allowed to feel what she feels. And then Marianne had that same reaction um, and players can play the game however they'd like. Um, so it, it was it was very emotional to see, um, but it, 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 it was a reminder um, that Survivor's not just a game. It's not just um, robots moving in a certain direction. Um, it, it's emotional. It reflects society. It it reflects reality. And um, you bring yourself and your context and your lived experience out there in the game. And you have to factor everything in, everything in. 
um, on on how Jonathan handled himself. Um, I I don't think Drea was calling him a racist. Um, I, 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 you're telling yourself you're at a tribal council wearing an immunity necklace. I, I, I didn't get that kind of interpretation from what Drea was saying. I think Drea was talking about her own experience um, and less would have been more from Jonathan's angle. Um, Lindsay and Tori, I think, handled themselves extremely well. Um, I, I think when you're sitting down there as a player in the game and then you know Marianne and Drea are about to play the idol and if you're Tory, you're telling yourself, I'm up shit creek without a paddle here from a game perspective, um, particularly when Jeff Probst took the vote away because there wasn't a chance for you know a miracle to happen and Drea doesn't play her idol and she still gets the votes or something stupid like that was going to happen. Um, so. Lindsay and Tori are just in the absolute pressure cooker scenario here. And then you've seen so many players buckle under the pressure of tribal council when they play Survivor. They dig themselves a giant hole. And given the topic of the conversation that was taking place, um, they didn't buckle under the pressure. They engaged very respectfully in that conversation. Um, I think Marianne and Andrea, um, you know, would have been quite, you know, positive of the reaction that Lindsay and Tori had, and then it got down to the vote. Um, so it, 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 I mean, it, it's difficult. And you also think this, Shannon, um, Survivor 41 and 42 were filmed back to back over a period of 60 odd days. I don't know if they had a layover in between or if it literally was back to back. And then these two seasons, which are airing six months apart, both have the same race, race issue that surfaces um, in different formats. We had the the failed African-American alliance that was so important to Shan um, from a social perspective in 41. Um, and now you had this kind of like reaction from Drea and Marianne to seeing two African-American players on the jury benches, particularly Rox Roy, who wasn't expected to be there. Um, and then it is just a reflection of what's happening in the US. I've never gone to the US. I'd love to go there, Shannon. Um, I I am from a culturally and ling- linguistically um, diverse background in Western Sydney, and I felt really proud to be a very proud and visible wog playing Australian Survivor when I was there, and I screamed it from the hills, um, and that was very important to me when I was there. And then when I think of the day that I stepped on the mat and I saw Way, another person who lives in my community where white Anglo-Saxon Australians are literally the minority, um, and I felt an immediate connection to Way, um, and that drew us together, and that's okay. Um, you're allowed to play the game and be drawn to people for whatever reasons they are, um, if it's race or gender or sexuality whatever it is. Um, but it was a it was an important TV moment. Um, I felt like it was it was done in a respectful and interesting manner given the game of Survivor. Um, and it happened. Yeah, I mean I think that they explained such nuanced points so well in an edited product that that was really impressive to me. And it upsets me that 
it's still getting missed by a lot of the audience. And, you know, a lot of the social media thing has been like sending photos of Drea voting for Chanel, which is upsetting because I think it was explained really well that like they're not calling anyone racist. That's not even the, the first thing. The second thing is they're not calling the votes racist. I think that votes against people of color can exist on a spectrum of like explicitly racist or like implicit bias and like the spectrum of that. Or they're not seeped in that. And I think that they would say, you know, like, Drea did vote for Chanel. Obviously, that's not seeped in bias. That's that vote. They don't even know what happened with the Roxbury vote. Like, maybe a Romeo played a shot in the dark. They don't know why that's happening. And, of course, they were coming to this tribal council to vote for each other. So those votes by themselves, no issue there. But it's when the pattern starts that it could be compounded. So they stop perpetuating the cycle and they don't want to be part of that, which I think is is their right. And I think that that's what's getting lost. And the other thing that they're contending with is having to educate, which makes me feel really, really bad because other people can come out and play the game. And when Marianne talks about the burden, it's not just the burden of like the different ways you're perceived and which is a huge part of it, but it's also the burden that they have to go out and educate. And also think about it from an audience perspective, like Marianne plays her idol as a, as a vocal stand. And I think that that to me maybe is the biggest thing that the conversation changed. Cause I think Dre is playing it anyway. I don't think Tori was playing her on the dark, but I think she should have, but it doesn't hit anyway. I think Tori's a split anyway. She's going home regardless. I think maybe Marianne's idol being played is quite possibly the thing that the conversation changes because I don't know that she would have. She might have once there was an idol train, once Drea does in the small group, maybe you do it. I see the merit in that. I don't think that she needed to because I think Tori's on the split. So if she's able to hold and know where the numbers are going, I don't know that she needs to. I don't know that she does. They play the idol not just to make a vocal stand, but so that the audience can't say you're using race. Like you used implicit immunity. Like, oh, Marianne didn't even play her idol, but they couldn't vote for her because she's black. Well. Not nothing saved them other than their own hard-earned idols that they that they had worked hard to to gain and to activate through saying these phrases over and over and over again. For Marianne, what would have saved her was her relationships and her alliances. But no one can even say it was you know race or playing the race card or anything because at the very least they were immune. They 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 played it and they earned it. And still, people are saying that it was race, like. They weren't saved by race, they were saved by their idols and they played it possibly unnecessarily for Marianne, definitely unnecessarily, possibly when they wouldn't have done it anyway for Marianne, to the detriment of their game, not only to make a larger point that was important, but also not to try and set things back where people will use it against them because it's on a game move and an idol move and still people are saying that. And that's what upsets me because if, if anyone suffered in the tribal council for the conversation from a game perspective, it's Marianne in losing her idol, and it's Drea in losing Marianne's idol to steal. Like, she's in a tough spot right now with no knowledge of power. The only idol that she has to steal is Mike's, and she better do it soon before he plays it. So it kind of corners both of them strategically, but they did it not just for, like, the point of Marianne saying, like, you can't say that anything else got me through other than the own idol that I earned, even though I had my own relationships that would have got me through before, don't worry about it. But let's just, like, not even have the discussion about why I'm here, I got myself here, nothing else. She plays her idol for that reason. And people are still saying that race is what got them through. Like, what do you mean is what got them through? They were immune. They earned those idols. Like, they worked for those idols. So that that really, really bothers me. Um, so yes, like, while I don't think that Marianne playing her idol is a good game move, I do think it's, like, so far beyond the game, obviously, in the statement. And the necessity of her correctly reading the way the audience will negatively take it. I'm so sorry that she has to read that. And I'm so sorry that she's so right. And that the audience has actually been worse than that. And it still said it's the race card when it was an idol. Like it's just been bothering me. But in terms of like Tori got screwed by this, 
Drea's playing that idol. Tori's on the split. She hasn't had the relationship. Tori's going anyway. If anything, she got the chance to use her shot in the dark, which she wasn't probably going to before. That was the optimal move for her. She got that opportunity. So no one else has suffered for this. The only person maybe is Marianne who played it as a stand, a necessary stand, when she might not have before, but she might have also played it. So I don't think it, it changes much. But if it does, it's to the detriment of Marianne and then by proxy Drea, who could have stolen the idol. So I just want to like put that out there from a game perspective. Because if there's anything I can speak to, it's like strategy and game. And like as upsetting as it is to see the hate online, it's also just completely strategically unfounded. And both of those things bother me immensely. Look, I haven't I haven't had the um I haven't been reading any of the uh online comments or forum about season forty two. So I, I, yeah. I really hope that um Marianne and Drea don't kind of like subject themselves to the torment of reading stupid Reddit forums and things like that, which, you know, players shouldn't be doing. Um, I, I think from a game perspective, um, I, Marianne has to play the idol if Tori plays the idol. So assuming that situation never occurred. If that's true, then nothing, then nothing has changed by the conversation. Correct. We've just had an important nothing conversation, has changed. you know? And yeah. if you, if you still think, what can a player do in that situation? What, mechanism does Tori have available to save herself she I'm assuming it wasn't edited out she had the opportunity to say to Drea vote out Lindsay she has an amulet unless she didn't know about it does she know about Mm -hmm. it Shannon no not the amulet but the fact that I mean she doesn't have the numbers with Taku but the fact that she can't even get Drea across the line to vote for Lindsay and Drea is still like you were coming for me on Ika Again, it's not speaking yeah. to someone getting screwed out or so, so read out because everyone's immune. Um, Lindsay's still an option and Tori doesn't have the relationships. Again, like while there are situations that corner people and limit things in these small tribes and then with all the immunities being played, again, that situation is kind of beyond the topic at hand because we're saying that an idol train could have happened anyway. And it's Tori paying for a lack of those relationships and for the negative relationships she's had with Drea thus far. So that's just, something that exists in the game and is organic correct. and real and valid. But, like, she, she didn't put in a case for herself. She didn't say the Taku 4 are going to be 4 out of 8. She didn't say, I'm going to be a target yeah. the next episode anyway. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're not going next. I am irrespective. Get rid of Lindsay, who's close to Jonathan, you know, Omar, and, and well, I suppose Marianne. But, like, it, it's just like, it, 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 it's like there was no kind of, like, last throw of the dice. There wasn't, yeah. there wasn't anything. There wasn't anything. Yeah. And then I, I think the, a good point that you made is this. It's like Drea really could have stolen Marianne's idol without kind of like like thinking that it was never kind of a possibility given the circumstance of that tribal council. But she could have sat down, seen Roxroy there and gone, holy shit, I'm in trouble. Play mm-hmm. her knowledge with power, steal Marianne's idol, play it. She still has an idol for the next episode. She's made the top six. And then when you have those extra days in the game, you can work your magic. You know, when there's yeah. six people left, you tell yourself, I've, I've got time to continually build on my relationships that I have here. Um, but that didn't happen. Um, and like you said, it was kind of like, it, 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 it is a worse situation for Drea. Um, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, and then it, it's just like, survivors complex game it reflects society it reflects reality and it reflected the real experience that Dreyer obviously brought into the game um yeah. the same for Marianne 
yeah, that that could have been the biggest change is was Drea going to steal Marianne's idol, which then that's off the table. Now she has a limited chance to steal with Mike. And she says it in this tribal council, like, I'm just going to play it basically defensively. And then I'm going to play strategically. Like at that point, all she's trying to do is stop the cycle. Marianne's not going to go. She's not going to go. Marianne's going to play her idol on herself. Let's stop it here. And then I'm going to play. So it does limit her. It, it limits the idea of implicit immunity, even though I do think that Drea was limited there anyway, but it, it limits options. But those options are against Drea and Marianne. It's again the burden they, that they have in making the stance. When people come out and are saying that it burdened others, that others suffered for it, like all I see is two women making a stand to the larger point, making a stand against what the audience will view completely correctly that they needed to do for themselves or the hate they were going to get to like even attempt to limit that. And for them not wanting to like set back perceptions, which is such an unfair thing to put on them, but they're thinking about that from an audience perspective. Um, And then, yes, they're the, they're the ones who are probably 90% doing what they were going to do anyway, but are limited in other ways strategically. So I, I don't see at all how anyone else has the burden of it from Jonathan's perspective. Like I think for Jonathan, like, no one more has talked about perception than Jonathan. Every episode we hear about, you know, like as a strong guy in, in the game, in life, the way I talk to people, the way I'm viewed, he bonds with Mike over it. Oh, now like I can make my move because I'm this big threat. Like he knows that he carries a burden of how he's perceived or that it's a different world for him because of his perception. But he can't extrapolate that at this point to people who live with a more difficult burden, a more difficult baggage. So I hope that like Marianne's perfect words on that allow him to learn something on that because it's something he's aware of perception and, and the way that we all kind of live in different worlds from each other and nothing's an even playing field but he seems to see it from an internal perspective and can't extrapolate it further to more difficult pathways and i think as well like i know it was defensive and it's probably hard in the moment but like to pull like they call we're talking about pulling the race card for me like pulling the racist card like who you calling me racist it shuts down that conversation was like a really simplistic take on something much more important and complex that we've been talking about, about like, okay, this vote was okay, but this pattern is something I want to put a stop to. And Drea had made it so personal about how just her part in it, it was some, would be something that she would be stopping. And then Marianne does the same thing. So I totally get Drea's frustration on that. Um, and, and again, I just hope that it, it's a learning experience because I think Tori and, and Lindsay seem to hear it. I think as allies, it's pretty much all we can try to do is acknowledge it and then work to dismantle it to help as much as we can. Uh, I know that this isn't, again, like the thing we can talk to better than a lot of other podcasts this week. But like, yeah, it's just something that I wanted to speak to as well. It's obviously strategically relevant um, in the way that the tribal council goes. So, yeah, and then there, there have been things that, it, you know, just obviously are upsetting on social media. Like the, the one thing I'll get on my soapbox about as if I haven't been on my soapbox for like 10 minutes, but. The, the the thing on my soapbox is I, I see accounts that I even f- have followed saying I want Survivor to go back to what it was. To me, that's like make Survivor great again. Like it wasn't great for everyone. Like if you wanted to go back to what it was, the, the group that's shifting progress is the diversity initiative of past black players, of players of color who are telling you how unfair and uncomfortable that experience was for them and are shifting to change that obviously has growing pains for some people, but is making the show a better place hopefully, I mean, definitely for the show, but hopefully for everyone. So if you're saying I wanted to go back to what it was, what you're saying is I want those players to be uncomfortable for my amusement. I want to go back to a thing that's easier for me to consume, even though I think that in a social game, social politics definitely have a place and in many ways make it much more interesting. But I want it to be an easier viewing experience for me to the detriment of others who have told me it's hard and who are with tremendous work in acting change. That's something that really doesn't sit right for me. So I, I hope that this isn't something that's news to my listeners. 
I hope we're all, all kind of on the same page with it. But it just makes me uncomfortable and it really doesn't sit right with me when it's like, I wanted to go back. It's like, yeah, the reason we're moving forward is because what it was, was not good. Not good for everyone, not good for a lot of people, and thus not good for the show as a whole. So that's just something I really wanted to get out there beyond even the strategy of the game. Yeah, I agree. I think I think you're spot on. Um, I think my concern with Survivor 42 isn't diversity casting. Um, and my my concern is it's it's the the way that I think CBS does its storytelling. Um, but in saying that, I'm from Australia. Um, I'm used to a very mainstream audience style of storytelling that um, our production company and Channel 10 pitch Australian Survivor at. And that storytelling is three times as long because we have three episodes a week and it, we have 24 episodes in a season. Um, I, 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 I think um, Survivor reflects the audience that it's pitched to. Um, in this case, it's an American program pitched to an American audience, and it is bringing up societal issues faced in America. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to minimize the issues that we have here, but then it's different. Um, politically, it's different. very different. Yeah, we, like have, it's we have a different social yeah, and political exactly. situation yeah. in Australia. Um, the issues that people in America face don't get transplanted for apples and apples in Australia. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, like, I, 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 like, I, I do read things on the internet, um, about, you know, some of the commentary that like the last season of Australian Survivor gone or my one or previous ones. Um, and I think people try and transplant American issues on Australian society and television, and it's not the same. It's just not the same. Um, but like if, 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 if people are concerned about, issues being raised in US Survivor, that's more of a reflection on themselves. Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, we're not minimizing anything that's happening here, but it is different. I mean, Black Lives Matter, it permeated globally, 100%. It permeated here, but it it was, you know, a movement started in America. And I don't think that we can even imagine to experience as two white people, let alone two Australians, the impact of that. And as you said, how it has continued to permeate through two seasons of the show back-to-back that did not see each other. Um, but these conversations have been happening for a long time. Sometimes they've been shown there hasn't been as much of a platform for players. There hasn't been that support. There hasn't been that air given to it. There hasn't been the way that players are now emboldened to speak out in a great way. Um, just because we weren't hearing about it doesn't mean it wasn't there. It was, it was very much there and in many ways much worse. But now we're giving it air. So anyone who wants to go back on that, it's just not something I can understand because quietening that doesn't mean it goes away. It goes away for you but it doesn't go away for the players that are impacted. And yeah, that's something that obviously that they should make a stand about. And I thought Drea and Marianne were obviously pretty much perfect in the way that they handled that under mm-hmm. that, that pressure. Um, I, but you, you speak about the way that the show has aired What did you think about the show handling it in this way to not go to the vote? That I think is what I had the issue with because it, it really, from from Lindsay and Tori's perspective, it really limited their options because one of them have to play the shot in the dark, and they're either going to get it or they're not. Um, whilst if if it if it proceeds as a normal tribal council, um, there's a chance that Drea doesn't play her idol or mm. Marianne doesn't play her idol, and they can have a late scramble. And when the shit hits the fan, 
Um, one of them does play the shot in the dark. In fact, both of them probably play the shot in the dark. Um, one of them's safe. It's the same outcome irrespective, hypothetically, but it's just like the remote possibility that Drea doesn't play her idol is gone. So she's always playing it there. There is no doubt in a million years that she's playing it there, but it just kind of like removes the possibility of something happening. Mm, but I think removing that possibility is why they did it and why I actually quite liked it. Like obviously in all other instances, play the idol before any vote is terrible. Um, it makes no sense. We all came to this perfect part to play the idol. It took a little bit of time, but it doesn't mean that you get to play it at any point up till then. There is a time to do so, literally a time to do so. So usually strategically not on board in ways that we've seen definitely like with Ben and through International Survivor sometimes play it when it's the time to play it. But I think in this situation, you're saying it limited the options because it took away the possibility. I think the show and the players wanted to take away that possibility because they knew they'd have audience members screaming about using the race card and about race being the thing. So if those players are, I don't think they would have been tempted to, but like if the show is worried, they'll be tempted to rely on implicit immunity or even just to gamify it at all where implicit immunity becomes an option, then that becomes way more concerning just around the conversation versus like, this is beyond the game. We're playing it now. It's not about implicit immunity. It's not trying to use it. We're not trying to, you know, double play you on this and 40 chesses and all oh, we've used race and now you can't vote for us, but we're going to keep our idols. Like they're not thinking that. But I think even putting that out in the universe, that's a possibility, is why you don't gamify it and you don't go to the urn and you'd be like, this is beyond that because it was for the players. So I think that that reflected that. I don't love Jeff. I never love when the when the show asks the players, like, what should we do? Because even that is a game move. Like they did it with like Kelly in 39. So what should we do about that? And like, you make the call. You are producers. Even with like the guys thing, the fact that they ask the players, like, no. You come in here, you make your own production decisions. Don't ask the players what they want to do. But I think that they were pretty much making a clear decision, picking up on what was a pretty clear conversation and feelings around, you know, what, what the players felt in that moment. And I think, yeah, just picking up on the vibe that it would have gamified something that at that point was beyond game in a way that was, you know, already for some people uncomfortable and that would have just maybe given more credence to that in, in a kind of ugly way. So I don't mind them taking the game out of it when it is beyond game. Yeah. And look, I, 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 I see the point, um, but from Lindsay and Tori's perspective, they were literally up shit Creek without a paddle, which they were beforehand in the sequence of events where they both play the idol, but it just removes that 2% yeah. chance of, you know, Drea going, I, I'm going to hold on to my idol or I'm going to steal Mary Ann's idol. You know, it, yeah. you never know. No, I get it. I get it. And Robin Stephen didn't like them and taking it out. I definitely understand that viewpoint. It, 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 it takes away what we know of the show, like these structures in place that we vote someone out. And I definitely get that point. I think that I don't think there's any chance they would have relied on implicit immunity. I think that at that point it would have really undersold a very great point that Dre and Marianne were making. But I think, you know, taking that out for some people, they don't like that, that it's taken that option away. I see that for sure. I think that Lindsay and Tori were in the hot seat and Tori, especially was in the hot seat, regardless of anything. I think that she was gifted, the, the option of, of shot in the dark. Not not that she shouldn't have been able to do shot in the dark because they got a question on it all. It's like, oh, well, they could only vote for each other. So then neither of them should be able to vote. So then why does Tori get to play shot in the dark? Like, no, in the normal order of operations, they vote first and then the idols are played. So she could vote for Drea if she wanted to. Like, it's just a wasted vote because she's played the idol. So instead she uses that vote on shot in the dark. That's fair. I'm not saying she's gifted the opportunity, but she's gifted the knowledge to know to play it, which I think she should have done anyway. So I think they're not in a hard spot anyway. But yeah, for me, I just think that this was 
pretty much beyond game. But I, I definitely see both sides because I know that, you know, some people don't like the way that that was changed and how it made mm. someone was still taken out of the game, but not voted out in, in an organic or way that we're used to. And for some people that's just hard to watch because it's still Toria's game and, you know, it should still kind of play out possibly as, as it would have anyway. I think irrespective, you get to the situation where they're both doing the shot in the dark. Instead, it was just Tori in this situation because they verbally said she's getting the votes. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about the the shot in the dark. Why do you think both of them would have played it? Because so Lindsay knows that she has the numbers for Tori at the very least. At that point, they're probably not even voting for Drea. It's all going to be votes on Tori or if they're still splitting its votes on Tori. Um, in terms of there have been questions about shot in the dark. So either it goes back to one and six when it's been two and 12, in which case just from a shot in the dark perspective, even in this order of operations where it's all being like, vocally done and it's not in the voting booth um so if Tori plays a shot in the dark and it's one and six either she hits in which case Lindsay is gone and she can't pull her own shot in the dark because it's only one and Tori just hit it or she doesn't hit in which case Lindsay's okay so she obviously shouldn't play her shot in the dark in the situation where it's still two and 12 the math is that Lindsay will go from an 83.333 percent chance of being safe because all of the cheese up against is Tori shot in the dark at 16.666% hitting. And then it's actually just a 1.5% chance that both of them hit. So the math becomes she goes from being 83.3% safe to 84.8% safe. So it's not a huge protection, assuming Tori is going to get all the votes. So I think that she should save her shot in the dark for the future anyway and just hope that Tori shot in the dark doesn't hit. But where are you seeing that they would both play the shot in the dark? Is that if we just go to a vote? And they're just, Correct. you know, so, seeing, yeah, uh, yeah, the defense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't before they sit down. This is like mm-hmm. the reactions happened, and yeah, Jeff and Pro- voting. Jeff Probst yeah. says you're off to vote. So yeah. in in that sequence, Lindsay mm-hmm. has nothing to lose in playing a shot in the dark because the most probable thing to happen is Tory's going home, um, and it, it's just like her vote is immaterial unless. You know, in the remote sequence of events, the three votes actually come on Lindsay or four votes go on Lindsay, including Tories, and then her shot in the dark saves herself. So it's like it's all win with no loss. She she has to play it if they go to a vote. But that's that's how I would have thought at the time. Yeah. At that point, she knows. I mean, we saw in the discussion and she's probably picking up like they're all voting for Tory. And she knows that, and Tori is probably playing her shot in the dark. So even if she gets a vote from Drea, which she won't, because Drea will not work with Tori. Um, yeah, her vote becomes kind of irrelevant and she could play her shot in the dark. But yeah, if it's sequential, when after Tori goes like, I'm going to go play it, for her to then be like, well, I'm also going to play it just in case yours hit for those two reasons of whatever way shot in the dark is formatted in, in the small tribes, it doesn't make sense for her. Um, I also want to say, like, I know that it's not important compared to what we were just talking about, but like Tribal Council is like completely broken. <laughs> like imagine if like Lindsay is swapped with Mike. There's also an amulet that could have been activated before this. Mm. And like, Shot in the dark, which expired last time at seven. So it's not an issue at the actual final five, but it's an issue right now. Like literally, it, like we always talk about like, well, technically Tribal Council could be broken if they have this many idols and like shot in the dark hits and someone's immune. But it's like, it's not even like that much of a hypothetical. Like it literally just takes like Lindsay and Mike switching, an idol train happening, Mike also playing his idol and Tori shot in the dark hitting. I can see that. Like it, it's very visible. So like, yeah, the game's completely broken. and there's shows very much just like shrug emoji. Yeah. Look, I um I I I don't know what would have happened in that circumstance where it would have been broken. Um 
with the shot in the dark, can you only play it once? So if Lindsay had played it in the last episode, could she not play it again yeah, in a future episode? Exactly. So that's why you have to weigh up. You only have one shot in the dark. So for Lindsay, you know, it's about how much do you think it's going to protect you? And are mm. you trying to protect against Tory shot in the dark? Do you have the capacity to protect against Tory shot in the dark? Are there two shot in the dark? In which case you have a 1.5% extra chance. Or would you rather take the 16.666% extra chance at a later tribal council, which I think you would definitely, if even if it was a possibility to play too. Mm. Anyway, this was a lot. I hope that we spoke to it with some grace again. Hopefully, be the audience much is more important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I was talking about you know the bigger conversation. You're talking about shot in the dark. Shot in the dark was a lot as well. A lot going on in this episode. Let's 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 throw it to the jizzy. Take it away, Jacob. Take a wine scene and MC color. One, two, three. Okay, I will go first. I'm going to give three points to Omar to absolutely no one's shock. Just so well done. I agree with the move. Super fan dream game. Like, I think the only thing you could say against the move was that it actually... I, we don't think that. We think Drea would have played the idol anyway, but like in some world it actually tipped off. <laughs> Treya, um, which is just funny for a couple of reasons. The first being, the, I mean, the main funny reason being that like Jonathan wins the challenge to get them the like privilege of seeing what had happened, which I think Drea would have played it anyway, but like if she wouldn't have, could have been the thing to screw up his plan. So that's kind of funny, but Oma can't like operate thinking they're going to take out Drea or that he can't do something to set Drea off. Like he has to make the move that he has right in front of him. And I think he did it flawlessly. Positioning is incredible. It's three episodes in a row that I'm giving him three points. I just love the way that he's playing the game. I'll give two points to Marianne. Goes without saying that she was brilliant in that tribal council. And I just, I love her positioning. Um, Playing the idol, while I don't agree with it, it's beyond the game. She needed to do it for that perspective. Um, We're privileged to hear her words in general. But from a game perspective, like these two points are from a game perspective for me. Um, The fact that she has not been targeted to this point and is now in with with a Taku group that could hold when she's been on the bottom and such a threat and has not been looked at, you know, there's been like small individual moves she's made, like giving up immunity, for example, that I think has contributed to that. It's also on her relationships and just the subterfuge. Like I just love the positioning. And then I'm going to give a point to Drea who picked up on the need to play the idol. And I think would have anyway, um, played it to protect herself. And we've talked about her trinket game. Like she has defenses. She's played a hard, strong game where she's built up defenses and she just used one in a tricky tribal council of five people. So that protects herself. And again, also brilliant at the Tribal Council. I'll give an honorable mention to Lindsay for managing Jonathan or trying to, making good points, being empathetic as well in the Tribal Council and being correct, I think, in the way she was trying to split the Drea move. Um, Correct move and better approach, unlike Jonathan um, in that moment and really just trying to wear a lot of the way that he's kind of talking to her in that moment. I guess I'll give an honorable mention to Mike because I liked his move instincts. I agreed with him, but they didn't go with it. Like, had he been able to, like, pull high over to the right move, you know, that's a point, but he doesn't get it done. So I feel like Lindsay and Mike are often in my honorable mentions, but those are my points. So, George, who are you giving points to? I will give three points most definitely to Omar for all the reasons that we've outlined. Yeah, gone so on and on about. Today. I'm, yeah. like, really be giving him all the points in this cheesy episode, if we could. Um, and then I actually had the same thought pattern for yourself for uh, points number two and one. Um, two points to Drea. Um, she um, had that moment at Tribal Council, which I think was a very special moment. Um, and I think she was going to play her idol either way. 
and then one point to Marianne for the exact same reason um, in terms of just the sheer solidarity of it and making a very important point. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that means Omar takes the lead in the charts. He's now on 20. Dre is on 19. So we've talked about like the difference in their game styles. Dre plays hard. She gets trinket. She's now like, I think even more kind of cornered into an individual game with Roxroy not there and the majority fracturing. And we'll see how she can fight it out now in this modern game, win some immunities, maybe use knowledge as power, um, maybe win an amulet war with that power and maybe win at fire. So it's that strong game versus Omers, which has been so social, which has been about gathering information, which has been about being under the radar. Opposite games that are one and two in the Chile. I'm fascinated by it. Um, then we have High on 11, Mike on 10, Romeo's on 9, Marianne has jumped up to 7, Jonathan on 6, Lindsay on 4, and then Tori left on 3, Daniel on 2, Swathi on 2, Jenny on 2, and Lydia on 1. So those are the charts. I'm very interested to see where it goes. I have a question from a listener, George, for you. Mooney C asked, at this point, who is in the best position to win? I want to ask, do you have a winner pick now? And did you have one like when starting the season? Mm. Um, I didn't. I tend to kind of like watch a few episodes before getting a winner pick. Um, well, that's before, not a thing, but sure. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I couldn't really. I couldn't really pick it in episode one. But um, well, that's on you. I was I was actually thinking Jonathan was going to win um, up mm-hmm. until the episode happened. Um, now, in terms of um, who I think is best placed to win, um, I'm going to say it's Omar. I think he's in the spot where he won't be targeted. He's highly probable to get to that final tribal council. And if he does, because it's an American jury and they respect game, he'll win. Do you know who my preseason winner pick was? No, I don't. Who was it? Was it Omar? Omar. Yeah, was I feel so good about it. Oh, that was I'm a good so, pick. I, such a good pick. Like, I don't know if it's going to work out, but, like, either way, I feel vindicated. Like, I heard in his interview, I was like, this guy's going to be great. And he is. And my draft team is still intact in the RGP draft. I don't want to brag. Well, I do. I, I kind of want to brag. I Like, there's only eight people left. We all got three people in the draft. I have all three of mine left in Omar, Lindsay, and Romeo. Three oh, of eight. Kind of unbelievable. Go. Like, if you think about it. There you go. Yeah, so really happy with the way that Omar is going. Um, I don't know if I'll always pick the winner, but I hope to pick the chizzy winners. Kieran, for example. Like, is that a, we'll is that a conflict goes. of interest? Is that why you're scoring him three every week? <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one because it's like I always pick the chizzy winners. It's like, yes, but you give the chizzy points. Like you can actually doctor that so that it happens every time. Well, not not if they like go out early. It's like, oh, yeah, my, my winner pick was Zach. And I just give him three points every week. I'm just thinking about Zach. I really like Zach. I feel like, like his presence his just, impact you know, is really influencing exactly. this boat. Exactly. I just feel it. I just feel like they've learned from Zach. I'm just going to give them three points. Like, I still need them to, to make it far enough for me to, you know, be biased and give them points later on. No, I think yeah, Omar has obviously been amazing. But, George, where can people find you and your many, many survivor-based exploits and all the things that you're doing on social media? Uh, the social media I'm active on is Instagram, and you can find me at, at King George of Bankstown. I am also a rare tweeter at, at King George 2200. And um, that is my social media presence, essentially. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, George. I think this was like, you know, a great look at the strategy. Again, there will be way more vital podcasts this week. Please check out Jamal with Rob and Bryce and Wendell on Survivor News, which will be keeping me some great company in my isolation while I do my puzzle. Um, So yeah, I'm grateful for those conversations and grateful to have the content and great content while I 
sit in my lonely apartment. I mean, it's just hit me that we're going to end the podcast and I'm going to have to go back to the lonely apartment. And I just, I want to stretch it out so that it never ends so that we can keep chatting. But I know that you have to go, so I will wrap it up. Um, next week, I have Verna on Survivor Global. I want to tell you about the Australian Survivor Deep Dives. Um, we have had five. We've had Sam, Mark, Chrissy, Khan, and Nina. KJ was the one that I wanted to do. We're still trying to work it out schedule-wise, but it's looking like it might not happen because KJ is just really, really busy at the moment. So I just want to let everyone know what's happening with that if you're like waiting for that in your feed. But follow me at Jenna Gates. Subscribe to the International Survivor Hack-Up feed so you don't miss any of it in case anything ever happens with it or you know with any of the coverage. Hope that you'll check all of it out. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, George, again, for joining me in my isolation for this conversation. Not in my isolation. You're not here, but on the phone. And that's been enough for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go back to my puzzle. But thank you guys so much. Thank you to Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. And I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Shannon. Australian Survivor. Survivor New Zealand. Survivor. 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 21 South Africans. 12 ordinary Australians. 16 New Zealanders. Give them the swarm One million pounds. Million euros. Million Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.